All right, all right. We are back again, Southern Arrow Podcast. Um, I was looking, I think this will be episode 19. Um, now I got to go back and look at it again because I'm not 100% sure. But I think this is episode 19, so 19 weeks of doing this, man. Uh, honest to God, that's pretty freaking neat considering how much. I mean, it's hard. I don't know. I know some of y'all are starting to realize the time commitment. I mean, um, it takes it takes a minute, don't it? Yeah, especially when you got a uh, a one year old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I get it, man. I mean, it it is. It's it's a real. Yeah. So this was eighteen. I think I just put eighteen in the folder because I forgot to do it last week. So let me see if I took it seventeen. Seventeen has been converted. So you got to like I record everything in a WAV format, and then when I when I upload it, I upload it into an MP3. Cause that's the only way that Spotify takes it. So it's not too hard to tell. So I, yeah, episode 18 will air next. So 17 just came out, uh, yesterday. Um, 18 will be out tomorrow. I mean, not tomorrow, but next Monday and then 19. So I'm, I'm about two weeks behind, which is actually what I try to do. I try to record and stay about two weeks ahead. It's a little bit easier. Jamie just walked in. What's up, dude? You work late tonight? A little bit. Had to run by Walmart. What'd you do? Buying fishing gear? No, just a couple things for you to have. All right, dogs. Dog food. Y'all leave. Well, if you brought dog know. food, they'll be your best friend. Um, anyway, back to what I was saying. So <laughs> I, I try to run about two weeks behind. It just gives me a little cushion so that if we don't have a, if we don't have enough, uh, if we like, you know, if I get busy, if something happens, you know, and I have an emergency, I don't have to try to reschedule everything like for a later day this week. So if I have to cancel on a Tuesday short notice, you know. Uh, we've got one so we're not you know it's not the end of the world but anyway um so this is episode 19 um got the regular crew in here where we're missing um we're missing chris i guess he's going to get on because we're going to make we're going to make hunter why'd you say that to him dude um <laughs> that shit was funny hey, dirty dogs out there fishing man what he is he's out there go. catching him little crappies he's catching him black crappie <laughs> on a little old bitty crankbait that's probably the only fish you know that's the only fish he probably caught yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, that water's all brown. He caught the only fish he probably caught the entire time. So he's talking. Yeah, he got lucky. Looking like he done something. I seen him, uh, Brad. So we've got a group text. I mean, if you don't, I mean, um, if you're not part of it. Oh, Hunter's Hunter's looking at his new crossbow. Um, so I see that he's <laughs> yeah, he's moving up in the world. Yeah, he's gonna 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 upgrade. Yeah, hey, look, it's still a stick bow, you know, right? It's a, it's right. got recurve limbs, right, Hunter? That's right, <laughs> hey, dude. I tell you what, I, I've been shooting a stick bow so damn much lately, like my hands hurt so bad. Do they? Uh oh. Hey, uh, hey, crossbow. I gotta get a tab or something. Right mine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Lisa asked me the other day. She said, "Is we were I was saying something about you, Hunter." And she said, "Is he the only one who shoots a who shoots a uh, who shoots traditional?" And I was like, "Hell, I think so. I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I, I honest to God, can't remember." But Bradley, don't you do it? Don't you shoot uh, traditional too? So I got a recurve. I have an old uh, Shakespeare. It's like a '72 model. Uh, it was my grandpa's that I have not been brave enough with to take into the woods. But I shoot it enough. I just I don't know. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to risk the chance of wounding something. You know? Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, I get that. I mean, it's. I think for like, I respect the shit out of Hunter because that's a real. It's a real step to uh, take that out there in the woods, you know. Yeah. Um. So, I, I, all kudos to you, dude. Because I'm not doing it. Yeah. I mean, I've got one, yeah, but I, you know. 
I, I question my own sanity at times. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I mean, as, as frustrated as I get as a just a recurve shooter, I can only imagine the frustration that you that you have sometimes trying to maintain form, consistency, you know, accuracy, getting out there, you know, and then having enough confidence to say, okay, well, I'm I feel comfortable enough with what I'm doing to go out there and try to actually harvest an animal with it. So, you know, right. Uh, well, man, I feel really good with it up close. It's those uh. It's those twenty to twenty-five yard shots. That's like, uh, man, that yeah. you know, it don't sound like much, but until you bear down the shaft of a longbow and you know try to kill an animal with it, it's uh, twenty yards is a poke. <laughs> you know, compound up. You know, I'm confident out sixty yards all day. Uh, not that I shoot at animals that far, but you know, in the right situation, I'm not scared yeah. to sling an arrow. Absolutely, sixty yards. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and it's like twenty yards with a longbow you know so it's it's definitely a it's a challenge man it's you know but it, it pushes me to get closer to game you know and I, I think it's already i feel you know when i do which i haven't picked it up in a long time but when i have picked up the compound after shooting the longbow i feel like it's made me a better uh hunter all the way around makes made me a better shot with my compound um and just you know getting closer to animals getting in thicker and uh, I had a lot of opportunities with it this year, you know. I could have killed deer with it, and I just – some didn't pan out, and some I just let walk. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, res- I, say, I would think – I would guess that your woodsmanship skills have got to, gra- to vastly improve because now, you know, I'm always – like when I, when I scout or when I hang a stand, I'm always trying to hang a stand that will place the deer between – say 30 and 25 and 30 yards you know around that 30 yard range i want that's where like i have no problem shooting at a deer further than that because i've done it and i've been successful you know i've got a you know 50 yards is probably about the max i'll shoot at a unsuspecting head you know just relaxed deer um and it's got to be the right situation you know body position's got to be perfect blah 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 um right but i mean for you you're thinking all your setups you're now you're trying to set everything 20 yards or less yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a natural that your woodsmanship skills are going to get better, right? Because you got to you got to yeah. get better. Yeah, yeah. You don't have no choice if you want to shoot. <laughs> if you want to try to shoot an animal with a bow, I mean, you you got to set up for fifteen. You know, preferably fifteen yards and less. Um, but you know, max twenty twenty five. Um, <clears throat> pretty much as far as I want to shoot with one. Um, you know, like I said, I'd shot that. I'd, had the opportunity to shoot a doe early this season at 20 yards and my goodness and i had to hold back on her for a good little minute like it felt like a long time and i was starting to shake pretty bad and i I probably should have just let down at that point you know but being stubborn me i'm back i got a good shot at 20 yards i let it fly and you know i ended up hitting the deer back first deer i ever lost Mm -hmm. with a uh, bow period in general and so um yeah it's it's challenge no doubt about it yeah, I get that. Um, I tell you what, though, it is it is. Uh, if anybody is listening to this and thinking about trying it, uh, if you're like me and have an addictive personality, you might want to rethink it. <laughs> I get that because I, I can't put it down, man. Cliff, I'm not, I literally up last three weekends. That's all I've done. My girlfriend's like, "All right, this weekend you're not shooting your bow." <laughs> really? Well, that's good. I mean, uh, so do you? Do you practice? Um, are you practicing? Uh off the ground or out of a tree i mean what's your practice tell me what you're doing to 
how you're preparing because I know I've heard people say that like they'll they'll do a lot of practice in the spring in the summer or whatever um, on the ground and then when they get up in a tree the angle compensation has changed their point of aim and then they struggle. Yeah, honestly, I and I've never done it. Uh, very seldom have I practiced out of trees, um, which I don't hunt very high to begin with, so it's not a big concern of mine. Um, yeah, it makes sense. But I, I need I need to though. But right now, you know, okay. it's season just ended. I have all summer. Right now, I'm in the tuning process. I'm trying different. Uh, and this is you know, this season was my first season, and I pretty much went to a guy. He made me some arrows, and I kind of entrusted in him to give me a tuned arrow. And he didn't really believe in bear shaft tuning, so and, you know nothing against him. He, he had me flying pretty dang good for what what what, what he did, you know. Um, but as a perfectionist, now I'm in the, you know, I didn't have time during the hunting season to mess with it, nor the materials. Well, now I'm set up to build arrows. I got a, I got an arrow saw, fletching jig, everything yep. I need to, I'm to the build same arrows. Way. I have now, everything to do it all myself. Yeah, so now I'm going through the tuning process, and you know, it seems like every weekend I've tuned a different weight arrow. You know, the first weekend was a little under 500 grains. Now I jumped up to 508. And this past weekend, I tuned a 583-grain arrow, which put me at 315 grains up front, uh, 26.5% FOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now and I've found that I'm shooting a little low, lower than I'd like at 20 yards, but it is so quiet. Sure. And I mean, it is hitting like a Mac truck so i think i'm gonna stick to this weight and just try to learn it now i'm gonna you know learn my trajectory and figure it out maybe play with fletching uh, a little bit bigger fletchings and whatnot but yeah i'm in the tuning process now uh and then once you know two months before the season starts i'm gonna start you know getting in my saddle and shooting up elevated and practicing that sure um so years ago, when I first started, um, matter of fact, I think that's where I got that recurve was from um, Mr. Roger Peacock. Um, in Belton, Texas, I was in the Army, so Fort Hood. Mm, picture of the year, 94, 95 maybe. Um, young, buff, good-looking, short-haired, high and tight, E4, Cliff Cannon. Awesome young guy that he was. Started, I started going to Belton, Texas, and there was a, a Peacock Archery. Roger Peacock was the owner. Um, I mean, he was in his 60s then. He may be dead now. Certainly retired, I'm sure. Lakota lay down. Um, anyway, um, he was an instinctive shooter. Now, he shot um, an Oneida. Um, some of y'all, some people may not be old enough to remember what an Oneida is. I, I hope most of them do, but an Oneida. I um, want one real bad. Yeah, well, they're great. They, they're, now they're most popular for bow fishing. Um, but mm-hmm. at their time, they were a knockdown, badass compound bow. You know, recurve limbs, all kind of stuff. Well, that's what he shot. Um, and he had five or six friends who were all recurve shooters. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's where I ended up getting my recurve from. I bought it. Well, anyway, um, long story short. Um, so he was helping me set my, my recurve up at the time. And I was never probably going to hunt with it but i did dabble with it because when i was there all the the older recurve shooting guys were there so i shot with them a lot and he had me shoot a ton i don't know if you've done this hunter that's why i'm saying this he had me shoot a ton of arrows he shot made me shoot a single arrow until we found an arrow that basically shot where i was looking at 
at like 20, right. 20 yards. And that's what he said. He said, you shoot arrows with different 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 weights, different heads, different style of arrows, different stiffnesses of arrows, until you find the arrow that basically shoots where you're looking. And then that's your arrow. And once you have figured that arrow out, basically what you're doing is you're picking it, you're finding the, he said you would find the arrow that the bow wanted. Not that you wanted, that the bow wanted you to shoot. Just by the way the bow was. Right. And I think if you're going to take, you know, I'm a gap shooter. Um, if you're going to take the uh, instinctive route and you're going to be an instinctive shooter, I think absolutely that is what you absolutely need to do. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting started in all this. Like, I'm new to it as well. Um, I've learned a lot in a short amount of time just uh, through YouTube and whatever else. But, sure. Um, I, I am finding that, you know, different arrow setups, even though it's flying, you know, it bare shafts and it's flying good. I'm getting great arrow flight. I'm finding different setups, you know, have a different point on and different, uh, you know, with this arrow I'm shooting right now, it looks to be, I think I need to do a little more fine tuning. Mm -hmm. I think it might be coming off a little bit weak still. So I'm impacting a little bit to the right instead of my point on that I was with a real light arrow. Sure. Um, but my gap at 15 yards is, you know, you're looking at a regular, uh, I don't know, eight inch circle on a target. You know, my gap is I'm basically aiming just to the left hand corner of that circle and I'm dead. Center. Yeah. I probably um, need to, to explain what you mean by gap shooting. So I I use the arrow point as reference to uh, the yardage that I'm using, basically using the arrow point as my sight, um, like okay. a compound would. I use the arrow point in reference to the target or whatever I'm shooting at to impact where I want the arrow to go. And sure. so your gap changes as you get farther, obviously, and more... You know, and that's what I'm kind of concerned about with this heavy arrow I am shooting. My gaps are getting a lot bigger now with the heavier arrow. I'm thinking maybe I went a little overboard, 583 grains. Might be a tad too much, um, but I'm not giving up on it yet because ultimately at the end of the day, I want to shoot a deer within 20 yards of this thing, and I'm not, you know, more than likely, I'm not going to be taking crack shots out at 30 yards or more. Um, so I think I might be at a happy medium right now. Maybe could drop a you know 20 grains if anything and uh sure. I, I'm, I'm, i got a lot more playing to do that's for sure well you got the whole summer so that's that's the that's the so i'll say this a lot of people you know uh i think compound shooters um are certainly guilty of it and i i know that um i, I know that comp that uh, crossbow shooters would certainly be guilty of it because you're basically shooting a rifle i know a lot of compound shooters who really only pull their compound bow out like two or three weeks before the season to start shooting some arrows um, oh, that's almost everybody I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I shoot all year long, although I, I'm still still struggling a little bit. Well, my hand's back. I mean, I, I don't have the strength that I used to have. Like, so, like, hand strength, you know. I mean, I literally did just cut it, you know, have it cut to the bone. So, hand strength is still off a little bit. But, I'm, I mean, I've got full range of motion again for the first time in I don't know how long. So, it's all coming back to me. But, yeah, so, I mean, you got the whole summer, so you can take your time and start really, you know, getting stuff like tuned in like you want it but anyway um i didn't sort of well i mean i don't care what we talk about you know for me this is never a anything more than just a conversation guys hanging out and talking yep. you know um i know everybody's I, like what are we going to talk about cliff shit i don't know i don't ever know well, I, have a, I have a question for hunter 
What's up? Yes. Uh, this is just totally out of curiosity, just listening, because it's, it's pretty interesting to me. And this is, you know, this is an ignorant question, but uh, when you refer to using your uh, arrow tip as your kind of like your reference point on your between your aiming process. So how does that change per distance? If, if I kind of visualize myself looking down, you know, mm. your bow at the arrow tip and using that for a reference point, just for somebody like me, I'm thinking who has never pulled one back and and done a, uh, a instinctive uh, shot like that. How does that reference point move or change compared to how the distance on your target and like which way up the broad head or down, you know, up the tip, down the tip, or what does that look like? Okay, so well, and there's a lot of things that impact this. Uh, whether you shoot three under or split finger, uh, it, if you shoot split finger, and typically you're going to have a uh, higher point on distance meaning if you step back your point on might be 40 yards when hold on just a second hey who is uh hold on just a second hunter let me interrupt for a second hunter let me interrupt for a second because we got a lot of feedback um somebody's got, driving <laughs> yeah somebody's driving i don't know who it is is it's uh who is who is on the who's on the phone maybe called in from i don't because i don't have a name on it it's just a phone number uh two one seven who is this, Chris? Mike. Mike. Oh, what's up, yeah, dude? I didn't write. Hey, yeah, m mute your phone for me because it, you got. I got a lot of feedback. Yeah, because you're just getting off work, ain't you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just mute your phone for me because uh, it was it was like feeding back really bad uh, on Hunter. I'm sorry, Hunter. Go ahead because I mean I could hear it through the. It was bad, yeah. bad. It's yeah, start over too, brother. Because yeah, start over if you don't mind. Because I I, I want to hear that. I, I caught pieces of it. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. So so uh, as far as you know, gaps and stuff. Uh, if you're a gap shooter, you know a lot varies with this. Whether you know where your anchor point is, and that's something I've been struggling with. Not to dig down too deep in a rabbit hole, but I've been struggling with. I've been holding my hand too tight to my face, my anchor, and my string is. I have a bad habit of connecting the string to my flipping nose. And it's uh, throwing arrow flight off. So if you're anchored out a little farther away from your, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, I'm still driving my hand, my face, but I'm changing my position a tad. So that'll give you a left and right variation a little bit because the arrow is not directly under your eye now. Um, but as far as gap shooting, so we'll just talk about what I do. Um, Three, I shoot three under. Uh, let's say my point on is at 20 yards. 20-yard uh, point on with, uh, let's just say, a 500-grain arrow. Uh, when I step back to 30, um, you just say, looking at it, you know, I haven't measured this. You know, and the, the, the real way to gap shoot and really learn if you want to get with to save you some time is aim at one point on a target. And, you know, shoot a group, step back, shoot another group, and then go back and measure that. And it'll tell you, you know, how many inches you are off. And then they'll give you a reference in your mind. Okay, I know I need to be 14 inches at uh, 30 yards. Um, right. So, it, me, I've just, you know, I just keep shooting until I figure it out. <laughs> I'm kind so of hard like that. When you say point on, you're actually talking about the, the broadhead tip. Yes. As it, as it yes. touches your target through line of sight, basically. Yes, correct. Okay. Now, so like field points, it's kind of weird. I guess you could kind of say a little bit of it's instinctive because, field, you know, obviously the, the broadheads that I shoot are a lot longer than my field points. 
So I guess you could kind of say that I'm almost referencing the uh, I shoot brass inserts and they stick out a little bit. So I'm almost more or less referencing the insert. Uh, now that I think about it more than I do really the I know when I got a broadhead on, I do I do look at the the insert more than I actually look at the tip of the broadhead. Because that makes it's sense. So, because the broadhead's so long. longer, right? Changes yeah. your point yes, of impact. Correct. Yeah. Yes, correct. So it'll change your point of impact a little bit. Well, let me ask you something. Do you do you, I, like I said? I'm learning. Everything. Oh, yeah. You know that the thing about so. Dude, we're not. We're getting like we're getting like a word, a yeah, half a word. It's bad. I guess your bandwidth is is t go in there and tell the kids get off the internet. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did y'all hear? Nothing. <laughs> oh shit! Was what, so what was the last thing you heard? <laughs> um, that you're using the broad that you use the insert more than the broadhead. What was the last thing you heard, Cliff? That you use the insert instead of the broadhead because if you're using yeah. your field point. It's you know one distance, and then your broadhead tips the broadhead being longer. That you reference the the, the insert more than you reference the broadhead itself. Yep. Right. Correct. So yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. No, that's but, okay. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, essentially you know, and that's what I was saying. Uh, that's the thing about traditional archery. There's a thousand ways to do it, do things. So mm -hmm. it's not so cut and dry like compound. Uh, you know really compound and my in my opinion is you know this is the right way to do it and i think this is how it should be done yeah uh, when well you're right a about lot that. less variation in compound as there is in traditional archery sure i mean the japanese do things way different and you got you know yeah i love the way they shoot their bows with yeah, like it's, long it's, on the top and you know short on the bottom and they don't shoot at center of the of the bow it's like it's like one third two thirds right right yeah a lot of them do uh fixed crawls and you know they'll shoot a hundred yards and they use a fixed crawl method like some will have different like uh, soft knock you could say down their string they know the third knock down is uh yeah. yards. yeah know? yeah so yeah they yeah they know they know by holding there they're changing their point they're, they're changing their point of launch really as much as anything right, right? Yeah. Right, or the angle of right. launch, I guess. So, um, the I, I, two things. Number one, I sent you a I sent you a a, a screenshot of a, of a podcast that I know about that you might like, since it's all traditional. It's called the Push. Um, oh yeah, I've Dude, never, I listen to the Push. All you listen the time. to them? Okay, I didn't know if you listened to them or not, but you know. Um, yeah, the other thing, Stick Boat Chronicles. Absolutely, those good. Yeah, they're but that's another one. Um, so let me ask you that. I have one question because I would think this is where I would struggle. Do you so you said you had some opportunities this year um shooting. Did you find that in the heat of the moment, I guess is what we would call it, when it came down to drawing and aiming, did you did, were you were you able to successfully find your point of aim like you normally would or was it a little bit more difficult with the excitement and the heart rate, you know, and all the things going on about really shooting at a live animal? Um well, I only drew back on, okay, so I drew back on two animals. I had a lot of opportunities that I didn't even pick my bow up on. I picked my bow up, but I never drew back on them. I just wasn't going to shoot that animal. Um, but, yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I would say, especially at 20 yards, you know, the first animal I had shot at ever with a uh, longbow, yeah. first deer I'd ever shot at, it was 20-yard shot, and uh, there was definitely some anxiety there. But it's like, and it's the same thing that happens to me with a compound. I have a lot of anxiety in a shot until I get to full draw, and I get settled in in my anchor, and then I'm like, okay, I'm cool now. I'm confident in the aiming here. Uh you know, pull back, tension, release. Um, I felt really, I mean, I was absolutely shook up on that doe that I shot, uh, you know, and what went wrong, who knows? Uh, I think sure. it was more or less just not having a natural point of aim. And look, and, and you know, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but I picked up the stick bow maybe. So I got, I got the bow in my hand on August 27th was my birthday. Somebody gifted the bow to me, a uh, random stranger on the internet, <laughs> believe it or not. Really? Um, bow was in my, yes, sir. Bow was in my hand on August 27th. I didn't, I, I just went and stripped a bear shaft, a 340 spine uh, bear shaft and just started slinging it. I mean, this thing would leave the bow absolutely sideways. You know, just to get the feel for it. And I shot sure. that for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks probably. And then I was finally able to go get some arrows built. And, you know, that didn't leave me with much time come September 15th, which it was, it was, it was in October because I was hunting a national wildlife refuge uh, when I shot that doe. So, you know, I had maybe a month of practice before I actually shot at a deer with, you know, with, with a stick bow from picking it up. Sure. Um, with good arrows, you know. Uh, so, it's, uh, and I would have never attempted that had I not, I've been researching traditional archery now. I've been very interested in it for years, uh, probably two, three years now. I've been really flirting with the idea of doing it. Um, just got lucky somebody gave me a bow. Sure. Uh, but if I wouldn't have been on, if I wouldn't have researched what really sped me along was uh, Tom Plum Sr. He teaches solid archery mechanics. Um, I watched every single one of his videos that's on YouTube. Uh, Aaron Snyder, Clay Hayes. Uh, you know, I took a lot of different things from a lot of different coaches. But Tom Plum Sr., I think he's got an awesome, awesome program for somebody who's wanting to get started. Um, in fact, I'm still tempted to buy his course. I think it's $200 for his training course, online training course. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's five hours of information. And I'm still tempted. You know, I may do that this summer. Just go ahead and invest in it and uh, try to tweak the little things that is giving me trouble. Um, but if it wouldn't have been for him, uh, there's no way I would have been bringing a longbow out, you know, opening, opening you know, a month after shooting it. So sure. just something to think about if anybody gets into it. Don't, you know, don't just pick it. It's, it's way different than a compound, you know, and I'm sure you know that, Cliff, you've shot a, a recurve. Yeah, I mean, I've played with one, but I've never hunted with it. I mean, more than I hunted rabbits with it, which was a lot of fun. Um, didn't result in any dead <laughs> rabbits, but that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I have killed two coons with mine. Have so you? that was a... Uh, I was wasn't totally unsuccessful this year. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've uh, like I said, I you know we 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 take them. So that was sort of our little game. We we would take them and we would go. Um, uh, hold on, I'm getting messy. Okay, I'll take care of that later. Um, anyway, so yeah, we would take them and you know like we would go rabbit hunting with them, you know, and just to see you know 
the fun of it. And don't get me wrong, other people had shotguns and stuff, so we were getting, you know, rabbits were getting killed. But it is a lot of fun. So shooting at moving animals, we used to roll a soccer ball, like to practice for rabbit hunting. We'd roll a soccer ball, you know, and try to shoot it. Right. With and I could, I could hit that, but a, a rabbit, hell no, not even close. I mean, you can't because you can't judge that distance, that 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 uh. That speed, judging that, I mean, it's bad enough just trying to hit what you're looking at and then judging speed, you know, I need like a, I need like a triple shot recurve, you know, throw three yeah, at one time, horse. give me that's an opportunity, but, um, one thing I want to two shot crossbow. One, yeah, one I, I don't need a two shot crossbow. Thank off. you though. Yeah. One thing I do want to address before we get off this subject, um, is why I really got started with traditional bow the the benefits of shooting a traditional bow off the shelf uh there's there's nothing to fail on that bow other than the string you know sure there's nothing to fail and then so in the benefits of hunting with one you know i'm i love to hunt on the ground um there's a lot less going on here you have a smaller object in your hands uh you 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 don't have this uh uh, what you call it the you know in in a compound where it rolls back into the back wall you don't have this extra movement going on and then if i have to i'm not a snap shooter but i do practice it if a deer comes in on me pretty quick at 10 yards i can snap shoot this thing no problem yeah it's a lot faster to get a shot off with a longbow than it is a compound yeah especially at close distance. I, I agree with so, that. And that 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 was a big reason and you know i could shoot under things i could literally get on my knees and get totally sideways you know sideways to the ground and have this boat totally laid over and i could shoot under something if i have to sure. uh with and with a slower trajectory i could shoot over things um you know because of the arc of the angle of the arrow so sure. you know there's a lot of benefits to it I, i'm sure and, and i always knew that but it really clicked in my brain and, and cr- if y'all know who i'm talking about please correct me because i'm going to get it wrong there's two there's two travis travises i know that hunt with a stick bow it's either travis flanks or travis murray travis murray recently. travis from, murray travis travis, murray. travis lives over in centerville area he's a stick bow hunter yeah yeah and that dude has killed some monsters he's killed some great deer with that Uh, a lot of public land deer he hunts off the ground almost and like he does uh he does the old-fashioned uh slowly stalking through the woods type hunting and he's killed some great deer like that he has right And, and, and i've always i've always been intrigued by ground hunting i've killed several deer on the ground uh with a compound and i just i knew that okay there's something to this stick bow thing there's benefits to it, and I could just see it from, you know, I'd sit on the ground and hunt with my compound and think, well, if I had a stick bow right now and a deer came from right here, it's going to be kind of hard for me to get get on, get to full draw and get on target and shoot this deer before he doesn't figure me out with a compound, you know. But if sure. I had a stick bow, by the time he realized what's going on, I'm already fully drawn back and the arrow's done been released. And Travis Murray, you know, in his podcast, he really talked about that. And it just reassured me, you know, I really want to do this. Yep. I know, know? Travis. And, and, I know I know his wife and him. Uh, they're realtors. So he, he's, a, he's a realtor also. So I know him. 
I know his wife oh, better really? okay. because she's the uh, she's the broker, but I know them both. They're they're really good. They're great people too. Great people, both well, of them. Fantastic people. Sounds, sounds like a nice guy. He is. Uh, he, he's a really good guy. Um, he, he's a really good guy. I haven't talked to him actually. I haven't seen him since. It's been a couple months, or it's actually been probably close to a year since I've like looked at him and said hello. But uh, they're great people. They really are. They really are. And yeah, right. Travis has killed some really great animals like that. So that's pretty. Yeah. He'd be a good resource. Um, he's been doing it for a long time too, so he'd certainly be a good resource. Yeah, he's definitely got my style of hunting uh, pretty much wrapped down. Uh, uh, you know, ghillie top. Yep, ghillie. Yeah, he does ground. ghillie suits and all that. Yeah, he's all into that. Um, yeah, he's that's, been that's killed some good deer over the years. He really has. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing. You know, like I I keep a Millennium M100 uh, ground chair. It's the lightest swivel chair, most comfortable lightest swivel chair I could find. I got some backpack straps rigged up on it, and I keep a ghillie top stuffed in the back of that thing. And I'll just grab it, throw a bottle of water in the little pouch it's got already, and I'll take off. And, uh, in fact, I could have killed a doe in uh, some public land that I hunt along the Mississippi River this year. I, it's funny. I had this doe. At, I was hiding behind a big oak tree. It was in between. It was a little creek that went in between some CRP. And it, it was just a strip of oaks, and I was on the very edge of the CRP against this big oak tree. Well, I hear something. I look over. There's a doe feeding along to me. Well, I'm like, she wasn't she wasn't an old doe, so I'm like, nah, no, screw it. This is my first bow. This is my first stick bow kill. I'm kill. I'm whacking. You know, this is it. Well, she gets to walking straight towards me, and at this point, I'm shook up. Like this deer is gonna walk on the side of my tree. So I'm kind of freaking out. Like, I don't, like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off, you know. So I have to stand up, move the chair. She hears me move the chair, looks my direction. She goes on feeding. Well, then another doe, she, oh, I'm sorry, hang on. She turns, looks back towards the CRP, and she bleats. And she's a young deer. It's the cutest freaking daggum thing I ever heard, you know. And I'm like, oh, man, why would you have to do that, you know. I was already second-guessing killing you. So I decided at the last second to pull my cell phone out and try to video her because she was going to walk right on the side of the tree that I'm standing behind. And so I'm pulling my phones like on the side of my leg. And as I'm pulling my phone out, I hear, I didn't realize how far she had already walked. I hear kind of like stutter step and she just comes walking around this tree. I shit you not, this deer is 10 feet from me. She comes walking around this tree and just, look, I mean, just staring me down, like doing the whole head bobbing thing. I couldn't even get my phone out fast enough to get the video started. And, uh, but I had a gilly top on, face painted, and she just she just kind of bound off a little ways and looked back. The other one come walking around the tree the same way she did, looked at her, looked at me, and they never blew. They just kind of bound off and took off and got out of there, you know? Uh so it was a cool experience, you know. I could have shot that deer at ten feet with a daggum longbow. Should have, but you know, that's part of the game. You're a better man than me. I gotta tell you, I would have freaking smoked that heifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I look back at it now and it's like my brother's like, dude, why you didn't Well, that? you know, we were talking about we talked a couple of weeks ago. I think everybody agreed that when you especially when you start something new, like you going to the traditional route and you're like a new bow hunter or whatever, you need to shoot animals. It's the only yeah. way to really gain experience is to shoot stuff, you know? 
So yeah, it, it well to gain confidence more than anything, um, because I'll tell you right now, my confidence is not through the you know through the roof with a stick bow at the moment. Sure. Um, and I ended up you know and I was uh, I had another opportunity. I shot at a pig. It was like closing time though. It was getting dark. Like all I seen was the fletchings leave the bow. And I couldn't see the arrow after that. But what I found interesting was uh, I missed the pig the first shot. The pig didn't even flinch. Like, she just stopped walking. Hey, Mike, we're getting a lot of feedback from you. I think I think it's you. Yeah, it, I'm, my wife's talking in the background. Uh, she, she didn't. She can't hear you guys. Uh, oh, it's okay. I'm listening, I, I'm listening through my hearing aids. No, it's okay. And she came out here talking to the cats in the shop. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You hear me talking to the. You hear me talking to the dogs. Stop yeah. it. Lay down. Quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no I'm deal. sorry. No, it's okay. You're good. I just. I didn't know if you knew we were getting the feedback. Which, um, it's it's I, funny I, because I, Hunter can be talking and then all of a sudden the feedback will overtake it and then it'll go away. Then it'll come back and it, it does it with everybody. It's not just you. It's it doesn't matter who it is. You know. I, I saw the the green light come on. Yeah, that but, helped. Uh, <laughs> when when, uh, when Hunter gets finished, I'll tell you about a pretty neat experience I had this weekend. Cool, cool. Yeah, we all can talk about what we did this. I know I did. A, I did a bunch we, this weekend. I walked a ton we, this weekend. So well, I I went to the Iowa Deer Classic Saturday. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, and I and I've gone every year that I've been up here. Matter of fact, uh, two thousand nineteen and two thousand twenty. I shared the booth with Delta McKenzie and several broadheads. And we, uh, my wife and I was the ASA state directors down in Texas, Archery Shooters Association. Mm-hmm. Very uh, familiar with them. And, and we, uh, we were the state directors down there from 2005 until 2017. And so we groomed another couple to take our place, knowing that we was going to move up here to Iowa. And uh, so when we moved up here in, 2000, in 2018, we were busy b- building our house and everything. And uh, so in 2019, we started uh, an ASA state-level federation here in Iowa. And it, it's kind of ironic that Delta McKenzie is the title sponsor for ASA. That's it's right. Called the, it's called the McKin- uh, – now they're called – it was called McKenzie ASA Pro-Am Tour. Now it's called the Delta McKenzie Pro-Am Tour. But in, anyway, long story short, the Delta McKenzie plant, Delta McKenzie's owned by Easton Corporation. Mm-hmm. But the plant is here in Dyke, Iowa. And they had never had a presence here in Iowa. No, 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 there'd never been an ASA shoot held here in Iowa, which to me didn't make sense. So anyway, <laughs> we start, we, we, became the state directors and we started an ASA federation here. And the reason I had the booth over there or shared the booth with Delta McKenzie is we were promoting our organization. Uh, and last year they, uh, they didn't have a booth because of COVID that the, they had the Iowa deer classic. I went to it. Uh, but De- Delta McKenzie didn't have a, they, they got a memo from Easton saying that in order to try to protect their employees and, and didn't want to put anybody at risk. They didn't have a booth. Well, they, they didn't have a booth again this year, but regardless, we went to the classic and, uh, I, I shoot a lot of 3d once, 
spring gets going, but I shoot some indoor archery this time of year. So they have, they have what they call a Hoyt 300 round over there. So I hadn't really been shooting a lot this winter, but I took my bow and I shot that and Tracy, my wife, she dropped me off at the curb because she had some shopping she wanted to do over in Des Moines because we don't get to the big city very often. And uh, so anyway, I'm walking around. I went over to the tethered booth and I visited with Carl and them guys over at the tethered booth. And I was walking around uh, just looking and I get a text from my wife and she goes, hey, I'm out here. And she said, she said, she said I don't know if you know, but we need to go. And I said, why? She said, there is a tornado on the ground just west, southwest of Des Moines moving this way. Oh. And, and so I, I said, okay, I'll be out there. I said, I'll be out on the curb in five minutes. So I got out there, and then I couldn't, we couldn't find each other because she was parked in a different place, and she couldn't get around to where she let me off. And Anyway, we found each other, and we got out. And we paralleled that storm. We, we were driving from Des Moines to our house down here in Bloomfield, so we were moving to the southeast, and that storm was coming from the – basically, that storm was tracking from the southwest to the northeast, and we were kind of paralleling it, that, that storm front, all the way along. Well, long story short, I stopped in Albi, Iowa to get gas, and the tornado sirens were going off in the town. And uh, we, we, we made it home. Uh, the storm line passed here. We had some high winds and, uh, and real heavy rain, but we didn't get the, any torn, tornadic activity. But then we find out on, on Sunday morning that it was an EF4 tornado, and it stayed on the ground for 69 and a half miles. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And, and it, it, it killed six people in Winterset, Iowa. And it killed, including two young kids, and it killed uh, one gentleman in Cheriton, Iowa, and did just a tremendous amount of damage. But uh, but that was kind of a, a crazy. What day was that? Crazy Saturday. That was Saturday. That was Saturday. So Saturday, was, I was, was in I was in Champaign, Illinois. Saturday. Uh huh. And it I mean no yep. no weather like that at all. Yeah, it, it that that storm tracked basically from. Uh, southwest Iowa. Well, it was on the ground 69 miles, but it it was a storm system that you know moved all the way up through, and it kind of moved up towards Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, but it was it was almost 70 degrees Saturday, and once the yes. storm system passed through, it was the norther, you know, that kicked it off, and uh, you know, it was, that, it was that cold north wind hitting that humid wind uh you know system moving up from the southwest and anyway sunday morning it was 25 degrees and then it snowed four inches uh sunday night did it right, really? we, we still yeah we, we still got yeah so we left uh we left mm-hmm. su- we left sunday morning um i don't know we le- we left uh from where our hotel we left about i don't know about six o'clock in the morning and then yeah drove home yeah so well i i uh I, uh, I'm going to put a link and I didn't do this video, this, uh, this other gentleman, I mean, I don't even know him, but he, uh, the Iowa deer classic, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a hunting show. It's, it's like any of the 
state hunting shows. Like down in Texas, they call it Texas Trophy Hunters Association. Sure. Yep, I know who uh, the Texas Trophy Hunters are too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but the Iowa Deer Classic, it's a it's a hunting show like that. But they have this big buck contest, and uh, they have they have a lot of uh, they have historic bucks from years past. But then they have people that enter bucks from this past season, mm-hmm. and it's it's really pretty ama- amazing to see. And I'll 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 put a link to that video. It's about a fifteen minute video. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, so. And I'll, I'll finish up here in a second, but this is totally, I'm kind of shifting gears here. So today, and, and I never have told you guys this, but I, I'm a, a dealer for Vortex Optics. I'm one of the oldest dealers. I, I've been a dealer since 2005 for Vortex Optics. And if any of you guys need anything, I'll, I'll definitely take care of you and get you a way better price than you'd get anywhere else. But with that being said, I had a pair of binos that uh, a guy, a, a, a gentleman that I've known ever since I lived up here, uh, had dropped and they'd got messed up. So I sent them back to Vortex. Uh, actually, I sent, I had, uh, I had Vortex email him a mailing label, but for some reason they sent them back to me, which wasn't a big deal. And what? so anyway, uh, I I, uh, they had come back. Uh, Fe- FedEx had delivered them back here yesterday so we were going into town today my wife and i both had our yearly physical uh just our well care physical and uh so anyway i call this gentleman he's an older guy and i've shot with him a lot i've shot a lot of 3d with him he's kind of a, and and by the way i know who i know roger peacock do you Uh, well I, I know Peacock's archery. I mean, it's 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 no more. It's closed. But I would I would there. think I so because I mean that was what yeah twenty something years ago, thirty years ago yeah, almost it, now. It, I remember it, it. I remember the range part was on the east side of I thirty five. That's right. See he had an indoor the, range on the service road. Yeah, and uh, I actually knew the Whiteford's Tim Whiteford and his boys that ran in Viking archery in Houston. And then the Batemans out of Canyon Lake, they were all associated with Roger Peacock. Yep, you Roger know, was a great guys, guy and a, and a real mentor to a lot of people. Yes, yes. But uh, but anyway, this gentleman that I'm speaking of, his name is Tommy Thompson. He's kind of a local archery legend up here. In this, and he's not a professional archer. He's just a, a local guy that's over the years has won all kinds of local competitions and just everybody knows. Him. And I, and I've known him since we moved up here. He was one of the first people I met and I've gone to a lot of shoots with him. And most of the time I'd pull up in his driveway and he had come out and either he'd ride with me or I'd jump in his vehicle and go with him to shoots. And I've never been in his house. Well, when I took his binoculars back oh, to him today, he said, well, we went in. I said, Tommy, I don't know if they gave you a brand new pair or repaired them. I said, let's open the box and look at it. He goes, well, come on in. And so he's got an old area kind of behind his house. It's his little archery shop, archery room. We went and opened the binoculars and we looked at them and he said, hey, uh, he said, I I don't invite a lot of people into the, into my house here. I said, but he said, I want you to come in here and see something. We went in there, Cliff, and he had about 15 mounts in there 
and they were just massive. Well, that's awesome. And the, the two that we talked about was a 171 and a 204. And I said, Tommy, did you kill them here off your place? And he said, well, I killed that one right there. And he didn't tell me what it scored, but it had to score 160. He said, but all these others, he said, I killed them right across the road on that creek over there. Mm. And I was, I was just shocked. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, now I'm going to put this link on and when the deer that you see at that Iowa deer classic, they're they're unbelievable. But anyway, that was my, that was my weekend. And, uh, and it, it was pretty exciting. I'll tell you that, we, that dri- driving back with that storm bearing down on us was, it, it, it was a little bit scary, but we made it and with no, and we didn't end up with any damage. Well, that's, that's but, good. Uh, At least you didn't have that. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But that, that, that winter set, the little town of winter set, they lost six people there. Sorry to hear that. Oh, Terrible. Yeah. You know, tornadoes yeah. can, you know, you never know. I mean, yeah. anywhere in the country. You can have a tornado. I mean, there's no there's no safe place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. there they can be anywhere. Um, yeah. So I so so let's switch gears for a minute because I wanted to um like 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 I don't I I let the conversation go where the conversation is going to go. Um. So um. You know whatever it is. Uh, talking about sports about sportsman shows. So um. Let me see. Today is the eighth as we record this. Um, uh, no, it will come. This will come out the week of the 21st, it looks like. And the Louisiana Sportsman Show is the 18th through the 20th. Um, and I will be there. So if you're, if you're in Louisiana, Hunter Hurst, um, you should come up there and say hello to me. Um, um, just might have to do that. You may have to do that. I know Chris is going to be there too. I know Chris ain't on today because he's fishing. Damn him. Um, but uh he 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 uh he's supposed to be there too so we can hang out um and i know seth's got to work and everybody else is too far away um but anyway um the change is gonna be at cliff i'm gonna be at the uh i'm gonna be at the louisiana sportsman show from the 18th to the 20th i'll be there yeah, from no, the, where, where, where's what what town's it gonna be in it's in gonzalez Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not that far from me. No, every year it's in Gonzales. Every single year. This is the first time in. Let's see. We we were doing it in twenty. We got there in twenty. We set up and did like it's open on Friday afternoon, Saturday, and Sunday until five. So we set up at you know I think it opens at twelve. We we you know I think it closes at like five or six o'clock in the afternoon. So it they closed it. Um, we went all to eat. We were all somewhere you know having a meal, and we got word. Um, through it, I think through a phone call to, to to my to my broker who was there. Hey, we're shutting it down. So we did like a half a day, and that was in 2020. And we didn't have one, so we didn't really have one in 2020. We didn't have one in 2021. Um, this will be the first one in really basically it'll be the first one in two and a half years or or longer. So hopefully, you know, have a good turnout. So you won't hear this before it's over, but so I, or I would be you know putting it out there. Although I may move it around. Maybe I'm, I might I might post this one before I post. Uh, the one from last week. Who knows? Um, but anyway, uh, the Louisiana Sportsman Show, 18, 19, 20. There's going to be a ton of people there for certain, you know. So if you can come, come. And I'd, I'd like to – like I said, for me, you're the only one who's reasonably distanced besides Chris because everybody else lives too far away. Except maybe Seth, who's got to work, I think. Right, Seth? For the uh, – what was that, the, the show? 18 through 20. Yeah, you got to you got to work, don't you? Yes, sir. I'll be working then. Well, you get get that money. Go do your thing. You know, <laughs> can I tell you? 
get that money. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, so I was gonna, I was just gonna say, if you're if you're around, man, come see us. But anyway, what I wanted to do is I wanted to sort of like sort of switch gears and talk a little bit because like I traveled. I was in I was in uh, I was in Central Illinois this week. I stayed in Champaign. Um, we looked we looked at some uh, some property. Uh, me and my buddy Mike. Um, we went and looked at some property. We went and looked at uh, went and looked did some scouting. So uh, we did a ton of scouting. I sent pictures to everybody. I mean, I know people were making fun of me because I wasn't finding any sheds because <laughs> I'm the worst shed hunter ever. Um, I can't, I can't honest to God see one. I don't know if anybody else, anybody else have any luck, like because like Mike and Herb, y'all are probably in like the shed hunting finding places. Bradley maybe too. Um, I've got. Uh, I'm I've got I'm in the wrong spot. I don't know where they are. Man, I, I can't find a shed for shit, dude. I cannot. I got about six. I, yeah, I found two in my life, and my wife found one of them. Yeah. I, I, the, the one I found by myself, truly found it, was 2019. I got to the base of a tree, and I stepped, and something rolled over on top of my foot. And I thought, what the hell was that? I thought it was a snake. I looked down, there was a shed laying across <laughs> that the is, That is the only sheds I've ever found. I have literally almost stepped on, or I've stepped on them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I can't find shit in my life. Yeah, I, I mean, my eyes just aren't tuned to it. I just can't see them. Cliff, can you can you see me? No, I can't see you. I got video turned off. Oh, it's uh, I'm, I'm, it saves I'm, bandwidth I'm hold, to do that. Yeah, I'm holding two right here that I'm. I'm glad I can't see them. <laughs> this this one has got about a seven inch brow time. And he, he's going to be a good buck. But I found these two, and they're not a match set. But I found them about thirty yards apart about 300 yards behind my house that's awesome and, do you uh, find most of your sheds like on in bedding areas or on field edges or what i find I, i've got i think i've got seven so far this year and i found three of them i found one in one of my food plots it's a, it's a brassica turnip and radish plot mm-hmm. I, I found uh i found two in a bean field it's my neighbor's I found one on the edge of a cut cornfield, but I found these two that I'm holding here basically in bedding areas. And what I try to look, I look for evergreen Uh, up here. These deer, they do what, and I don't know, they may call it other places, but we call it yarding up. Yeah. When it gets really cold, you know, they'll group up and, and they do it. It's just kind of a natural thing, but they do it. They kind of do it to keep warm. They'll bed down close together. And they'll try. They'll bed down on, on South Fate. Well, they'll bed down anywhere. But if they've got a place that they can get out of the wind, like on a south facing slope, and if there's evergreens, if there's cedars, you know, just like regular old western green cedars, sure, they'll get up under them cedars to keep the snow and stuff off of them. Yeah. And then if you have cedars like that, that's close to a food source. Man, if you if 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 you find it, uh, uh, and it ain't gonna happen up here unless it's just somebody that leaves it a hunter. But let let's say a let's say a farmer didn't cut twenty acres of beans and it's got good bedding close to it. Yeah. Oh man, it's you know it's gonna be outstanding. But yes, yes, I look in in thick bedding areas that's close to some sort of food source because these deer up here are not going to expend a lot of energy in the winter. They're going to try to bed and feed relatively close together. Sure. That makes uh, sense. You know, and, uh, and so that's where I found these two I'm holding right here, but, but I, I'm going to find some more. I haven't really been in my good spots. Mm-hmm. And the reason is 
is it still cold up here? I mean, even though it's been warming up 60, we almost was up 70 Saturday. This week we're going to have cold weather. And yeah. I don't want to push, I don't want to push them deer out of that good bedding cover. I want them, I mean, if I push them out of there, I don't want to take a chance on them spending the night out somewhere where it's really super cold. You, sure. You it know. makes sense to me. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and here, here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to hit some of my better bedding areas as, as it continues to warm up a little bit. Yeah, that makes perfect but, sense. Uh, so down here in the south, um, it's different because like, so we live, I mean, like I said, and Bradley's probably close enough to it too. I mean, there there's not as much agriculture, of course. Um, and so you're, you're hunting like me, Seth, um, Chris, for sure, Jamie, I mean, we all live in an area where you're, you're mostly hunting um, briar patches and pine thickets, you know, and so that's where your deer tend to, you know, that's where they bed, so that's where all the thermal cover is, and that's where they end up shedding at, and so you're talking about, I mean, shed hunting in a, in a cutover down here in the south, you're talking about trying to, you know, I'm trying to find sheds in a 10-foot in a session, because that's about all I can see. Mm-hmm. you know is every 10 feet so uh literally there could be one on the other side of that pine tree 20 feet from me and i would never be able to see it because of the cover you know um not to mention well, you'll you lose your clothes and in briar patches boys oh yeah yeah you can't travel in that shit you can't you can't walk in that i mean i mean i've literally when i back and back especially back in the day when i was young and we dog hunted dude i've seen freaking shirts damn near destroyed in them briar patches You'd literally pull your shirt off your body. It would come back in, in just strips, you know? Um, hey, one thing I want to say about briar patches, if anybody ever goes hunts one and is not experienced doing it, whatever route you took going in, make sure you take that same route going out. If you can find it. Because <laughs> if you try, you see, like I use Onyx and I'll map every track I usually make, especially on public land, um, new, new areas or whatever. But I, I went way down this area one day, one, one evening, and it got dark. I'm coming out and I'm like, man, if I could just cut straight through this little briar thicket right here, it don't look that bad. I could get on the road. It ain't but probably yeah. 80 <laughs> yards to get through. Have you on your hands and knees? Eighty yards. I got an easy patch. walk, dude. Mm. I got about forty yards in that thing, and was like, "Oh no, fuck this! I'm going back." <laughs> yeah, it's not even worth it. I have had no, to, I've walk. had to turn my back, hold my hold my shotgun in because I was a dog driver, to hold my shotgun mm-hmm. in front of me, and just walk backwards until you literally sort of trip and fall down. Yep. And then you get up and you just keep trudging <laughs> backwards again. again. Um, and when you're talking about a, a, a greenbrier that's as big around as your thumb. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's probably a hundred of them. I mean, I'm, they've knocked me down. They've ripped my shirt off. I mean, I've come back. You know, with you go to the, you. Here's the worst part. So cover your ears if you're if you're you're sitting on the shitter. And you know what you're doing? You're popping them daggum briar tips out of your thighs mm-hmm. because they done freaking broke <laughs> off inside of in, in your leg, and now you're sitting there just popping briar tips out of you so they don't get infected. I mean, I have done, been there, done that, dude. I'm not yeah, antler yeah. hunting in a briar patch. Well, not doing it. You know, hey, Cliff, uh, uh, the, these seven sheds I've got here, I've probably walked at least seven miles, maybe ten miles, but the the term a lot of people up here use is miles for piles. If you want a pile of shed, you got to put in a lot of miles. Well, shit, I put in ten this year, this 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 last weekend. I didn't find one. 
I walked nine on Saturday and didn't see not one shed. But so I'll tell you what I did do. I did, I'll tell you what I did do. So I didn't find any shed. Me and Mike walked. We walked a ton of property. Um, we walked some. We walked. We walked some land that we have access to, and then we went and looked at some private. Um, not private, but some public property, just to sort of see if we could find. You know, what could we find? Um, of course, in the spring, there's not. Gonna, I don't know how many people are going to be there. I know that last year when we drove by, there was a car. At, there was two to three cars at every parking spot. So we sort of ruled it out. But we did try it for just shed hunting and see what we could find. Um, but on the on some of the land that we that we do have access to, um, and we we didn't really like. So my real intent was: would I like to find a shed? Absolutely. You know, I'd love to, but what I really wanted to find was where are the deer going and what are the deer doing, you know, and so the, the early, the, the late season scouting, basically what I did was I was scouting now for next year. I was looking for rubs. I was looking for scrapes. I was looking for uh, bedding areas, um, for places that I, for the, for the property that I do have access to, um, because I want to know it better because at the end of the day, that's the goal, right? To know your property. Um, I, does anybody else do it? I mean, I don't know. I do a, I, I don't do, well, I take that back. Even here, I do a pretty good bit of late season scout or early, I guess I'll call it scouting at the end of the season for next year, you know? Um, um, I, I do it shed hunting and I also do it during turkey season. See, and I do a lot I of it do, during turkey season. Yeah, yeah. I do during yeah, turkey season. And just like right now with this this late snow on the ground, man, you can see you can see your used travel corridors because it's uh, just like when my Tracy and I went to town today, uh, just on the off the county road up here. I said, man, look at that trail right there because I mean it's just beat down overnight. Yeah, I, shot, know, it, I sent pictures to some of the guys who had there. Some of those trails are just beat down. Yeah. You know, they're oh, yeah. consistent travel whether they're whether they're from bed to feed or whatever they are. You know, one one bed to bed. I don't know, but I mean, so I'm looking for yeah. I mean, that's but those are the things I'm looking for too, Mike. So I'm looking for places that. Um, my, I, when I go to, when I go hunting, I'm going during the rut. So I'm looking for doe bedding areas. I'm looking for trails around the outside edges of them that a buck might use as he's scent checking and things like that. I'm looking for rub lines and scrape lines, um, that a buck may, cause if he's using that trail, you know, he, you know, he's putting rubs yep. there because oh, he's yeah. using that trail as, as a travel corridor. Um, so yep. I was just curious if anybody else does a serious amount of, uh, after season scouting. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I, I try. I try this time of year. Uh, I do. I do a lot. I do a lot. Uh, I, I, I put a. I, I walk a lot, and I've got so much. I've got some ground up here that uh, that I've never even looked at. I've been up here three years, and I've got places I never even looked at that I have permission to get on, uh, and. Uh, once this snow melts, I've got two or three places that I'm going to go shed hunting, but I'm also going to look for sign in there. You know, I'm going to look sure. for rubs and scrapes and and, tra- and trails. Sure. So yes, uh, but uh, but hey, I also, you guys, when you get a chance, I put a link to that Iowa Deer Classic where this guy just does a walk around through the buck contest. Yeah. And if you wanna if you wanna see some impressive bucks, just take the time to watch that little video where he walks around there. Sure. Sure. Well anyway, um anybody else uh, on their on their postseason scouting? Yeah, you was talking about finding them um I usually just go I, I found one already this year and I haven't been back up to the property where it was at. Um 
I walked quite a bit and did a lot, did a bunch of scouting at that time. But uh, finding them in travel corridors is what I'm finding them at. Just kind of where they would be kind yeah. of going through in pinch points. Well, and we we them. walked. I walked travel corridors. I mean, I walked trails that were, you know, a foot wide and, and just beat to mud. And man, I walked them, and I walk, and I'm just thinking. I would tell Mike, man, any minute I'm going to walk across that 90 inch shed. I know I am. <laughs> I know I am. I right, man. I mean, I may have. I may have stepped over one. I don't know because I damn sure never stepped on one, which is what I have to do to find them. You know. <laughs> oh, that, where I found this one here, oh, we're talk, I'm talking about travel corridor. I mean, it's it's she's that that area is about 60 yards wide. It's it's a good it, it, it's a good funnel for them. Yeah. Well, uh, pretty, now pretty I will say spot. this: the areas that we looked at on public ground, it was obvious that people had already been there way ahead of us. You know. Um, now the private ground, I really wasn't like I said. I, I mean, we didn't. There's no. There's no. Uh, there's no. Um, uh, though there's very little ag, so it's mostly woodlot um, and, and and big ravines and stuff. It's not a. It's not a real um, like aggy place. So I'm, I'm sure there's not as many deer there as there are in places where there's a better food source but so there's not a lot of field edges in other words that, that you can walk maybe where you'll find that kind of stuff but the public land for sure was was uh, beat down it was it was downtrodden with boot tracks as much as deer tracks i think i've been yeah, kind of like him the, the few few sheds that i have found over the years have usually been on a on a trail somewhere or another but they're more of a nine inch shed than a 90 inch shed like you was looking for <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's a lot more nine there's a lot more nine inch sheds in mississippi and... than there are 90 inch sheds <laughs> but no i mean well 90 inch shed was really just a, a term you know i mean it's, it's you know i mean who wouldn't want to find a 90 inch shed i'm, I'm guessing but you know um yeah. at the same time like i said it's just you know i don't find a lot of i don't find a lot of sheds um i'm a bad shed hunter but i was wondering like what do y'all what are, what are your techniques for what are you looking for when you're looking for postseason hunter you look i mean do you do a lot of postseason stuff or do you just let it go according man i'll be honest with you uh cliff i do not do a whole lot of postseason and my really is because i got too many i got too many hobbies uh sure I, I love to bass fish so around this time of the year i'm really switching gears and you know i've been tuning stick bow i've been busy with that this year and now i'm switching gears i love chasing big bass and big bucks you know so now i'm switching towards the the big bass thing but uh you know what i find the trouble with uh, especially south louisiana is it changes so much and i've already got so and not that i can't learn please don't take this if you have the time and the means by all means you go out there and do some postseason scouting um for me you know not that i can't learn anything from it you always learn every time you step foot in the woods i just we have so many different variables water uh and pigs P pigs are a big thing especially you know the first place i'm gonna start hunting when it opens uh more than likely is gonna be you know i just got all these areas already figured out i know where i'm gonna hunt more than, for the most part yeah um, because you've you've been hunting there for a while right years yeah i've been hunting these areas yeah. for years so I'm kind of, so you, you know, sort of know, know what's going on you know where you know where the deer are going to congregate you know that they're, they're major areas that they're going to use yeah for the most part and look so so i do more of a late summer scouting you know uh i'm starting to switch gears you know it's getting hot uh the fish ain't biting too good i'll do more scouting especially in the marsh i do a lot of scouting in the marsh uh you know that first the month before it opens i try to go 
pick a day, at least a day or two, a month before it opens, where I can go kind of differentiate where the pigs are hanging out and where the deer are hanging out. Because when you find the pig, you know, it's, it changes every year. Uh, hell, a buddy of mine, the season before last, he killed a very, for the marsh, they were very respectable deer. One was a decent seven point, one was a real decent six point. He killed them literally a week apart, seven days apart in the same tree about the same time in the morning. He went back to that spot the next season, which would have been this past season. There was eight up of pigs, you know, it wasn't even worth hunting. There's so many pigs in there. Um, so it, it, it just, it changes so much. It's hard to, you know, I, I'll do more in, I do more in season scouting than anything. I want to know what the deer are doing here. And now when I have the opportunity, when I could carry a bow and actually shoot one. Um, but I do do a little bit of late season scouting. Hey guys. Sorry to interrupt, but you know I got to do it. This is Cliff, Tom Smith Landon Homes, here to tell you that if you are looking to buy or sell in Mississippi or Louisiana, I am the guy for you. Give me a call, 601-990-5070, or on my cell phone, 601-565-1070. And remember, if you expect more, you will get more. Hey, hey guys, yeah. I posted another picture on there, one of the neatest deer I saw over there at the classic and i mean there's there's just so many impressive ones but this one was a kind of oddity it's a 176 inch net eight point 185 inch gross eight point and i, I put a picture of him all on board on the, the yeah. site there you yep yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah he, i saw and, it that's and, big and, that's real big and if you and if you watch the video you'll see it in the video too it's uh but yeah it's it was it was impressive but yep. uh, there's so there's so many over there. There's so many of them that are impressive that it, it's just one of them, you know. But it but being an eight point, that, that's that's pretty stout. Yeah. Mike, did you do much walking around up there? Or did you stay pretty uh, local at your booth? It, it's a classic. Yeah. Okay. Th this year I, we didn't have a booth, so. So I shot the indoor tournament, and then I had started walking around when Tracy texted me and told me that there was a tornado headed that way. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went to the tethered booth, and I visited with Carl Kasuth there, and I talked to the guys at tethered, and I went to the Botech booth, and I went to the Expedition Archery booth because I had some friends working them booths. And I was going to walk the whole show, but we had, I, we kind of cut it short. Uh, and actually what they did, there's two levels there. They brought everybody off the sec second floor down to the first level when that tornado was approaching. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was kind of, it was kind of, the, the storm system was kind of disrupting the flow of the show, but anyway, I bailed out of there. So I didn't see the whole show itself this year. Yeah, I was just asking. I got, I got a, a buddy. Oh, I'm sorry, no kids are young. That's okay. Uh, I got a buddy that had a booth up there uh, with next level deer supplements. I was wondering if you just happened to pass by or see them. Or I, I probably walked by it, uh, but I, I did. You know, I didn't get a chance just to walk and look at each booth. I was just kind of. There was two or three I wanted to hit. Uh, I was, I was thinking about. It. I was going to buy me a new uh, Predator XL platform for at the tethered booth. And uh, I just, 
was in the process of looking at it and talking to them. And, 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 and my wife texted me and told me about those storms approaching and I, I bailed. I, I didn't get it. So I, I, there were several things I was going to do and I was going to see a lot more of the show than I saw that, that, that I ended up not getting to do. Yeah. Yeah. It does happen. I mean, we all know it does. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it, go uh, ahead, Hunter. A, a little off topic. I just, uh, last podcast, I heard you say y'all had a, a good crop of acorns, uh, this year. <laughs> crazy i mean it was acorns on the ground because i so here's what happened and, and well i mean i'm not again i'm not a biologist what do i know but here's here's the way i look at it like this all right so generally so we've had a really really dry winter right uh really dry in right. comparison to what we're used to right um correct so what what, what I think happened was maybe you didn't have necessarily a bumper crop like we were saying, oh, we just got a bumper crop of acorns. But what we did have happen was that we had none of those. We had we didn't have those winter storms with those heavy north winds and things that blew those acorns out of the tree. Right. So you had acorns that are falling. Literally, they started falling in November. They were falling down all the way to the end of December. I mean, everywhere you look, I mean, and pin oaks, of course, like my pin oaks, and most of the pin oaks around me, or even all around me, they they make a they make a pretty bumper crop every stinking year. And then you yeah, had a really man. good white oak acorn crop, and then you had a bumper crop of um, you had a bumper crop of uh, 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 pin oaks too. And then you had no storms, so nothing got blown out of the tree. So they were just falling naturally, right? Right. So you just had a lot of acorns on the ground for a long. I mean, my food plots they needed to be mowed. They were so tall. They they really Man, did. That, that 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 is crazy because we had none. I mean, we in even up there northeast Louisiana along the Mississippi River bottom, it was bone dry as Man, far as acorns we had acorns. I mean, it was they were terrible. like freaking marbles on the ground. Everywhere you walked, there were acorns on the ground. See yeah, now, last we year bad here in Tennessee. Y'all yeah, had a bad. bad uh, you had a bad acorn crop or a good acorn crop. No, no, we, we had so many acres. I, I couldn't figure out where to hunt. Exactly. That's what we ran into. So your deer could literally, they could lay down anywhere, anywhere and eat acorns while they were laying there. I mean, they were just acorns everywhere. Um, so it really right. messed up the, it messed up our deer season. A couple of things. Number one, it was like really, really hot. Um, you know, I mean, Christmas, it was like 80 degrees. I, I mean, it, I'm surprised it wasn't a, you know, an all time high. It was close to 80. And it was that, that whole week, Christmas between New Year's, you know, that's our big rut week. You know, it was damn highs in the high six, in the high seventies the entire time. You know, lows were in the, lows were in the like upper fifties. So the deer weren't wanting to move, period. It was just hot. Then you had acorns yeah. everywhere. So with, with when, 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 and we've seen this before, whenever you have a bumper acorn crop, Man, they just deer movement is so unpredictable, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I could, I, I experienced the total opposite this year. Uh, there were so few of acorns, and yeah. so, you know, I, I'm used to hunting around water. If I can hunt near water, I'm hunting near water, and it's always been my uh, bread and butter in most places I hunt. And it was bone dry this year, so not only is there you know no water to hunt deer you know it doesn't it doesn't seclude the deer in certain areas 
And now you have no acorns. You don't have any real defined. There was some feet trees, but I mean, they were already wiped out. I never found a real fresh one. When you would come across, and I've walked miles in these big hardwood bottoms, you would come across a few couple cracked acorns here what i've what, what seemed to me was that deer were just constantly traveling they wouldn't go to just one feed tree and feed at that tree it almost just seemed like they were just constantly on the move and most of the deer i did see feeding they were feeding on greenbrier on the edge of uh, crp stuff you know they really? weren't really uh I, I i did stalk a little young four point um i got within 25 yards of them first successful stalk i actually send ever it. made on a white tail. send it you, know, you should have seen and, and, and Cliff, I had a compound on my hand. Had I had the longbow? I'd oh yeah, with the shot. longbow, you certainly should have seen it. Yeah, yeah, he was a big body deer too. Uh, you know, but and, you know, I didn't want to shoot him. He's just a young deer. And no, I'm, not know, with I'm a compound. About. I'm sure you've done that before. We've all yeah, done that yeah. with a compound, right? What's that? Stalk one? No, shot one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've shot a bunch with a compound. Yeah, <laughs> I. I but it was the first deer I'd ever successfully stalked. And, um, uh, I got within 25 yards of him. Finally, I got, so he was eating on acorns and finally I got so tired of watching him. I just pulled my grunt call out cause I was trying to get to my spot and it's already daylight. You know, uh, I just started grunting at him and finally kind of pushed him off, you know, couldn't figure out what it was. You knew he was too damn close to be a deer and it, there ain't no deer there. But, um, mm. so when I walked up though, <laughs> He, he was feeding on uh, red oaks, and the place that I'm hunting has always been primarily, uh, especially that time of the year, you're going to, I don't know exactly, I need to learn this uh, big time, but the, the big brown striped acorns, um, well, what would you call that? Is that some kind of water oak or well, some I mean, kind of red oak? you're probably it's, seeing, because you're down in there in, in the swamp, so white oaks generally won't grow down in there, it's too wet. So you're probably yeah. dealing with some kind of a water oak. It's probably yeah, a water oak or even some of those. I know where I'm at, the only places our big chestnut oaks grow are along the rivers and waters. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. We don't and have a lot of chestnut oaks up here. I noticed those big striped acorn, you know, years previous, they've always been the real target, you know, and you, you'll find a cluster of them near a slough. You know, they'll grow in the, around the sloughs, mm -hmm. and you'll find a cluster of them where it is dry. And I mean, it's just, it's not a feed tree. It's uh, just feed trees everywhere. I mean, sure. it, it, you'll find a cluster with just deer shit tore up everywhere, you know. And uh, we, I, I couldn't find that this year. The only thing I found that was fresh and a deer were feeding on was a few red oak acorns, you know, the little small red oak acorns. And, yep. and oaks, we call them. Yep. Yeah, uh, it was tough. Uh, you know what I, I found? It, it was crazy because, like, what I so when I went to Illinois, like I said I was scouting in Illinois. No secret, I was up there looking at some property. Um, there were still acorns on the ground, and I, I, I mean, it's weird for me because, like, down here, the weather's different. Look, don't get me wrong; we have mostly humid. It stays wet. It doesn't freeze. So we always say you need some of those big storms to blow through and blow those acorns out of the tree, so that they'll get on the ground. Because there's so many of them on the ground, the deer can't eat them all. Then they'll rot. Right, And then the deer will transition to food plots or whatever, you know, so you can sort of better pattern your deer. But when you have acorns and, and, and it's dry, they don't rot, right? They just stay there on the ground and the deer eventually can eat them at will. Yep. So right. I was in Illinois and I was walking. We walked in like the first place we walked in. We walk in, we walk off the trail, we walk off into the woods and it's deer sign everywhere. 
and I'm kicking stuff around and there's still acorns and they're good. They're good acorns on the ground. And I said, well, okay, well, this is a, it's obviously a late season area. I don't, I don't know if now when I was there during deer season, cause I, like I said, we hunt the permission place that we have is mostly woodlot. Um, it's a ton of acorns, a lot of deer there. And obviously a lot of deer there in the wintertime too, because the acorns are there and it's not a lot of ag around, but it was crazy the amount of acorns that were still there. I guess they freeze, you know, then they thaw and maybe they don't rot like they do for us, you yeah, know? Maybe. Right. I never really thought about it like that, but I mean, a ton of deer sign was on acorns. I don't know if like for Mike and Herb who live in a more, and Bradley even who lives more northern than way more northern than we do, if the acorns do that up there, I don't know. It was, it was neat for me. I'd never seen that before. I've, I've still got some on the ground. Uh, mainly under some big white oaks that are right across the river from me. And uh, I, to be honest, I didn't pick them up, crack them open. I don't know if they're good or not. But in that same area, there's a lot of broken shells in there where acorns have been eaten. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what I saw. I saw a ton of them eating. You know, Herb, do, y'all, do y'all's rot? I mean, you're, you're a little bit further south than Mike, but you're way more north than me. Do y'all's acorns do what our acorns do, or do they do more like Mike's and they stay good throughout the year? They're staying good right now. That's um, crazy. We're watching turk. We're watching. Tur- oh well, depends on where they're at. I guess they're in the lower bottoms. They're going to rot. But um, yeah. So up on the high ground, they certainly stay right, good, right? Right. They're they're up high right now. Like I've got turkey on. We got turkey coming in on camera um, every two days or so, and they're coming and hitting the oak flats, running acorns right now too. So really. Yeah, see, our it's acorns rot so much faster. Season. We don't have to, like, after, honest to God, I would say that about three weeks after they hit the ground, with the humidity and the moisture that we That's have, they start the rotting process. Something to do with our humidity. It's got to have it, you know. And like I said, you know, everything stays wet. Now, this year was dry, which, again, because it was dry, even acorns could fall on the ground, but there, there's nothing to make them rot. You don't have the, you don't have the moisture mm-hmm. that we normally do. You know, because once they get covered with, a, with with some leaves on them, they get some leaves on top of them, and it's that moisture, they start to rot. I mean, I, you pull a you can pull a white oak acorn three weeks after it's been on the ground, and it'll be pretty much rotten. So the yeah, deer quit eating them. Smush it. Yeah. Yeah. But, That's interesting. Yeah, I, I found about some that. on Saturday. Do what now? I, I found some white oaks on Saturday that were still good. I busted them open. They were few and far between, but they were still good on uh, last Saturday. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So I guess it's, you know, I'm sure that it's, you know, like Hunter said, you know, he had no acorn crop. And we're, uh, let's see, I'm an hour and a half from Chris. I'm probably three hours from you, two and a half hours from you for sure, Hunter. Um, We had a bumper acorn crop. You know, I mean a bumper acorn crop. So it's just, it's really going to be regionally specific, you know. Um, That's why I've always said I wanted to get, you know, somebody on from like the Alabama-Georgia line, somewhere around that area to to know what they go yeah. against, you know, what they're up against when they're trying to, yeah. Yeah. When, 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 you know, with their acorns and their deer management and stuff still like falling that. in January this year. Now, we still had acorns with, with, falling in January. We did. With that with that said that, you know, no acorns, I did hunt, you know, I sent you all that picture of me and the P-Row uh, with all the palmettos. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that property, I hunted right there. It's probably about an hour, 20 minutes northeast of me. That property... You know, even late season like it was, I found a lot of fairly fresh feet trees. Like, they had a good acorn drop there. and So, I find that real bizarre that, you know, one area, you know, I mean, far away from south Louisiana to northeast Louisiana, the properties I 
hunted down here. I mean, no acorns. And then I stepped foot on that one property, and there's freaking acorns everywhere. Um, yeah. So that, that was, you know, I found that interesting. That's why I asked, you know, what, uh, how was y'all's acorn drops the last two seasons in Mississippi? Well, last year wasn't it wasn't great. Last year was sort of like a a regular season, I guess. You know, um, so. I don't know what the cycle is. I can't remember. I've heard it before, but like white oaks, every two years. white oaks run on a cycle, you know? Um, red oaks, pin oaks, a, a, a pin oaks are red oak. So I just call everything out here. I mean, we got tons of pin oaks here. So um, we got pin oaks. We got water oaks. We got different kinds of red oaks, but I got, mm-hmm. we got tons of pin oaks. Um, mm-hmm. Pin oaks make every year. Um, about every two or three years, they make like a freaking bumper crop. Um, and then our white oaks, I think it's like every two or three years they they rotate like you know decent, and then they have a really good crop. Something like yeah, that. I then, think you'll have two two years where they'll they'll drop good, and then you'll have a dry a, a, a couple year. of bad years. And you know, of course, now you you, you got to realize you know anything. It don't matter what it is. It's a lot of it has to do with what you what you get in the spring. You know, because a lot of that's all done in the spring and summer. So if you have a good wet spring and summer, you know. With a better growing season, they're going to have a better. You're going to have a better acorn crop. You know, the other thing that I've noticed is like if you have a really bad storm, like if you have a hurricane come through, it will blow those green acorns out of the tree. Yeah. Um. So you know, I mean, I've seen I've seen my pin oaks in my yard literally leafless in August after a hurricane came through, and you you know the wind was just caught just right. You know. Hey, talk. Talking about the hurricane thing, uh, that kind of brings an interesting point up. Uh, I got a buddy who was hunting, and I, and I never thought about this. We had that uh, – dog. what was the hurricane we just had? Uh, Ida? Uh, when in no, Ida? The one right before that. Uh, it was the, the bad one. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, Ida was crap. the – Ida's um, the last one that we had, ain't it? When it Ida? Yeah, yeah. The Ida, Ida. And then we had one right before it. Uh Anyways, when, when Ida's the one that lived pretty much leveled Homa and Thibodeau because I was just down there and they're still cleaning up that mess. It's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, yeah, piles of trash. We had a, God, dog, I'm drawing a blank. Can't think of the name of the daggum hurricane. Anyways, after them hurricanes hit, my buddy was uh, bow hunting some uh, pine forest and he had a big oak tree that had fell from the hurricane and uh, he, you know, it was full of acorns. So he set up on it. Well, sure enough, I want to say he had two or three different deer come in, but one was a real nice eight point. He ended up missing. They were actually going to that blown down uh, oak tree and feeding on the acorns on the oak tree. Off so the if leaves. you ever have a storm come through, yeah, yeah, so, they were feeding. They were taking the acorns right off the tree. <laughs> Seth, uh, talking about um, off the tree, eating acorns off the tree. I don't know what it's called. There's a little. There's a little. Like, I know for, like, when I was in uh, Central Texas, I don't know if you have them down there, there's, like, a little scrub brush oak tree that makes acorns. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, most uh, – well, those are – I think they call it a live yeah, oak. There's there's usually, go ahead. There's a lot of live oaks down there. No, no, no we know what – I know what a live oak looks like, but Seth knows yeah. what I'm talking about. It's a, it's, a, it's a brushy little tree. It probably don't get more than 8 or 10 feet tall. It looks Those like a are, bush, but it yeah, makes we, acorns like crazy. I think I uh, I think it's a we call them. I think it's a form of post oak, but they're more of a scrub. Yeah, it's like a scrub oak. Scrub. scrub it might oak. be scrub oak is what they call it. That's what we call it here. It's a scrub That's right. Oak, so when I was at Fort Hood, those little scrub oaks would make acorns. 
and yeah, you and they're, talk they're about great little scrape spots too yeah well look you could just walk along it's like it's you know how like we, we you walk along picking blueberries off a blueberry bush that's what yeah. it looked like with acorns i mean everywhere you looked, there was a bush and it was just covered in acorns mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be but about six or eight foot tall and i mean they're just every damn where um and i, I actually hunted in, and killed a deer eating e- eating scrub oaks you know um off of a off, off of a scrub oak tree that's what they were scrub oaks yeah that's a, that's exactly what they are dude them and damn you'll, things you'll find and them, deer will like graze said. just graze along and eat them right off the tree <clears throat> yeah and i know i mean in late in the season they'll even they'll even nip the leaves and stem on a brow but like you said sometimes it'll literally look like a uh like a flower bed bush it'll only be knee high but it'll be four or five foot wide and it you know, is and nothing but acorns yeah, and then sometimes they'll be, you know, they'll be eye, eye level, but they're thick from there to the ground. And yeah, they, they yeah, they don't get, get no real than, tall. I mean, and yeah, no, it's, they, it's just like a screw, only, it's like a little bro, like a I think of them like a um down here we have uh um damn it. Oh, I can't believe I'm sitting here privet hedge. You know how privet hedge uh Hunter, you probably got some privet hedge down there where you are too. Everybody does. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Freaking I, privet hedge. That's what terrible. I. That's what I imagine. Uh, if if you could imagine privet hedge having acorns <laughs> on it, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, because when you actually mention a scrub oak, people think you're just referring to a short, immature uh, oak tree, but it's actually a form of oak. It is a. It's like it a bush. A it's like a scrub. Tree. It's like a yeah. oak bush instead of an oak tree. It never yeah, gets. I've never seen that. Oh yeah, I mean, if you go to, I know if you go to like. Uh, Colleen, Fort Hood, you know, Lamp. I, I lived in uh, Kempner, which I bought a house in Kempner. I met a guy the other day who was from Lampasas, who was right there, you know, Copper's Cove. Any yeah. all around there, like it's, a, it's the Edwards Plateau area. Um, them little scrub oak bushes are everywhere, and deer just walk along. They'd just be walking down the trail and just freaking picking acorns right off the side of the daggum yeah. bush. That's why. I, that's why I don't like them. No, because they're <laughs> everywhere. That's exactly right. I mean, because you get yeah. up in a live oak or something, and them damn things are everywhere. You can't predict deer movement because there's acorns everywhere. Nope. You know, it's the it, same it, problem that it, we it, run into. We ran into that bad this year. So, like I said, food plots were, you know, ten inches tall in December. Hey Cliff, if if you get out there, uh, say between Abilene and San Angelo, where the elevation's a little higher, mm-hmm. you'll run into oak brush out there. And That's basically what we're talking about. Brush, you'll, you'll see it up in Colorado, in New Mexico. Uh, yeah, that's basically what we're talking about, Mike. Is, is it's just a it's a little bush, and it's but it's an oak, you know, and it makes a it makes an acorn about the size of a pin oak. And if you get into that, that's really thick. It's I mean, it's hard to even walk through. It. Oh no, yeah, it's like a little jungle. You can't walk through it. Um, yeah, and yeah, then you have the uh, what is it? The blue juniper? Is it the blue juniper? The little cedar that grows out there. Yep, yep, yo, yo. You know, yep. so you got you 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 got one of the two that you're going to fight with constantly. Um, that's why yeah, Texas is a whole times, country. The, the times I've elk hunted in Colorado, I hated to hunt around oak brush because I mean it's just like hunting a, a cedar thicket. It's hard to see in through there, and it's hard to get around in it. Sure. And, yeah, it's uh, sort of the same yeah, thing. You, you know, I was familiar with Greenbriars down in Texas, but what we have up here in Iowa, and uh, Herb may have it too in Missouri, we've got multi-floral rose. Or, I or ran into a bunch of them dagging wild rose bushes this weekend. Oh, you talk about something that will rip your clothes off. Yeah, they'll get a hold to you. 
They're just not oh, as yeah. thick as a green. They're not as thick as a Greenbrier. You I've know? got some places up here though that you just can't even walk through it. You just got to walk around it. Yeah, and, yeah, you'll get you, they'll get bad. They get bad. That and the briars. You get briars. Oh my gosh. Oh no, Bri- no bri- blackberry briars. Oh, you can't even walk through some of that stuff. Yeah. So go ahead and get you. Yeah, but when we talk about when we talk, and that's what we're talking about. We're going to call a green briar down here. When mm-hmm. we talk about that green briar. We're talking about them blackberry briars like you're talking about. We're talking about the size of your thumb and freaking 10 foot tall. And you think, well, that won't be, you know, I can go under it. No, you can't. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. All you can do, I have crawled through it a few times. I'm not going to lie to you. I have gotten on my hands and knees and crawled, low crawled through it because you couldn't walk. I crawled through it. I was tracking a deer one time. Didn't find the deer, though. Flying in that green briar, and then next thing you know, you're on your hands and knees looking at specks of blood, crying because you're absolutely your mm-hmm. on yeah. your hand. And here's the thing: so the 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 problem with blood trailing in there is not only can you not walk, for you you can't walk, but the but all the all you got all these brown and red leaves on the ground, so blood doesn't show up. And then inevitably, if you're in the south, if you got briars like that, you got pines. And then because you got pines, you got pine needles, which are already copper colored. So you really can't see blood on them. Now, add colored wine on top of that, and that's my then life. Then you really got a problem, don't <laughs> you? <my> <laughs> you said, that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> then you really got a problem, don't you, bro? Get you a bottle of peroxide. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad my wife knows what she's doing, or else I'd never find another deer. I, I, get I heard you. I am like, all right, babe, it's time. She one time she put my daughter on her back and helped me track a deer. She was I think my daughter, uh, I guess like six or eight months old at that point, and she had one of the little baby carriers. She put that thing on and, and we went and we just went looking. Come for on, man, that's awesome though, dude. I can't, you know. Yeah, my wife's crazy. She's a uh, she's White Mountain Apache. Oh, is she um, really? Yeah, she's from up here in Arizona. Uh, oh man, that is pine top area. That's awesome. So they uh. Well, that's, I guess her, her dad's side's from there. Is her mom's side's from, like, Elma, Washington and that. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's from, like, thick, thick, thick through the, the woods and type of people. And, uh, yeah, my kids are uh, enough White Mountain Apache. They could live on a reservation. Sure, sure. That's awesome, uh, though, so I've got to. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know. They're all blonde-haired. And you, you wouldn't see it. But, <laughs> really? Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah. they are. Uh, yeah. Her, her great-grandma taught everybody in the family how to hunt and fish and do all that and so uh it's it's really cool that uh you know even with her growing up in phoenix that she still had that luckily her her dad's side of the family uh had that background like that that's awesome uh, you know she can help me out of her mind so i don't know if i mean anybody who's listening don't know i'll i'll say this the the apaches were probably the greatest guerrilla warriors of the world they were better as far as waging war. They were a warrior tribe, and they were fantastic at raging war. Um, and really, if it hadn't been for logistics, they probably would have beat the U.S. Army. Yeah. Yeah. Who was that great uh, Geronimo? What's Geronimo? Bradley, you'll have to you'll have to educate. What was was what tribe was was oh. was Geronimo from? Was he a White Mountain Apache? Look, I, I, you you got me. I'm <laughs> from Western New York, so we had all all of our Indians were Iroquois. Uh, so that's right. That is, uh, that's, that's above my, my pay scale. Now, if my wife was here, she could probably answer that, but, uh, yeah, he, he I can, was, I cannot speak to that. Was it, was he a white mountain or was he a Chiricahua? 
Was it a Chiricahua? Uh, I think that was Chiricahua. I can't remember. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna someone's gonna freaking be sending me some hate mail because I'm gonna get their names wrong. But you know, so my dog's name is Lakota, but because I am a huge fan of the Lakota Sioux, I'm 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 really a big fan of of uh, of all Native Americans, um, the tribe you know, and the the the. I would guess it's not the uh, it's the uh, the lifestyle. I really was like very respectful of. Um, I think that's the most simple and, and awesome lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. living living off the land. And so, yeah, white man came and ruined it. They did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. they did. It's the nature of all it's the nature of all societies. Um, you know, I mean, it is. It's the nature of all society to come in and take over. Um, but I think that way of life, I mean, I, I, I could very happily, you know, I might have died the first six months. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I would have very happily felt like I could live that lifestyle, yeah. you know. I could have, you know, right, right here where I live, there's all kinds of artifacts. I mean, a lot of people don't realize it, but Iowa, Iowa is an is a I is an Indian tribe. Uh, you know, Iowa. Uh, matter of fact, the Iowa Nation now, what's left of it, resides down in Oklahoma. You know, they they got moved down there, but uh, I found nutting stones. I found spear points, arrowheads. Uh, a lot, I found a lot of nutting stones right here around the house where they would take and and hollow out a rock that would fit uh, like a hickory nut or an acorn, and then they'd take another rock and, and hit it and break it, you know, to get the to get the meat out of it. And uh, if I had, if I took more time on this creek on this fabulous river that runs through our property, uh, especially if I uh, if I rigged up a little. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Not not a gold pan, but uh, you know wh- where they where you run water through a, a, a sluice, sluice, a, a, sluice, sluice box. a little a, a little sluice. I could probably find all kinds of artifacts. I've just found the ones that I've seen on the surface. Yeah, well, but uh, but any, anyway, this this whole area, like the county next to me is Appanoose County. He was an Indian chief. The county to the north of me is Wapalo County. He was an Indian chief. Over oh, yeah. here, the town, the town in Van Buren County, over to to me is Kiyosakwa. He was an Indian chief, so I mean, I'm surrounded by what used to be Indian country right in here. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of Native American culture um, and their way of life. I think it was a very simplistic um, way of life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm super I'm super interested in all of that. So the history yeah, of it, especially, you know, it's just really interesting for me. You know, that's it. My wife's uh, like great grandma, like I was saying, she was actually a medicine woman, one of the last ones they know of, I guess. Really? And, uh, yeah, she uh, she was taught by her mother, who uh, obviously that's how that all worked, right? Yeah. Um, but she, uh, so we do a lot of stuff. My, my parents think I'm buck wild because my parents will go to the doctor because their toe looks funny, you know what I mean? Like that's the way I was raised. And yep. obviously, so being a paramedic now, like, you know, that's that's what I'm doing, you know, and uh, but my wife will be like, oh, no, we'll go get this plant out of the yard and we will, uh, you know, you'll chew that up or you'll whatever and you put that on that and we'll fix it right up. I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah, I ain't doing none of that. <laughs> and I remember the first time there's a plant called plantain. You got it in your yard. I know what plantain is. I've heard of it before. Yeah. yeah. So so she told me, she said something about a bee sting. You put the plantain on a bee sting. I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah, I ain't put a plant on a bee sting. I remember my. She made a salve one day, right? She boiled it all down and all this stuff, set it all up. 
I'm like, okay, yeah, you do your thing, like whatever. My daughter got stung. As a two-year-old getting stung, you can imagine what that sounds like, right? Blood piercing scream, you know. Mm-hmm. She took that stuff out of that, and she rubbed it on her, and it, immediately she stopped crying. And I was like, sold, done, whatever you say. I'll take all of it. I'll do all of it. I, I heard I, that. I'm done. Yeah, I, I, we try to do a lot of like the homesteading type of stuff. Uh, you know, and obviously that's where the deer hunting aspect comes in is, is, you know, raising your own food and stuff. Sure. Not raising it, but, you know. But harvesting your own food, yeah. Being self-sufficient, right? Because, look, let's be realistic. We don't know. I mean, me and my daughter were talking today and, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, the state of this world and where we are and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, look, you know. Because my daughter grew up eating deer meat, and all of a sudden, I don't know, because the internet told her to, she don't like it anymore. <laughs> you know? So, I told her, we were talking about, like, being self-sufficient. I said, well, you, you, you little bitch ass better learn to eat deer meat again, because mm-hmm. if, if the shit hits the fan, that's all we going to have. You mm-hmm. know? My, my seven-year-old, she said, she said, Dad, we having deer steaks today? I said, no, we're not having deer steaks. Well, that's really what I wanted, so... Well, I mean, my daughter was like that. She ate deer meat and everything. Like today, I made a, I made spaghetti. I, I coarse grind. I don't ever fine grind my deer meat. I coarse grind my deer meat because it holds. I think it holds together better. Um, so yeah. I coarse ground deer meat. I, I, you know, cook that. Put some onions in it. Put a little Italian seasoning. Dump some freaking um, uh, spaghetti sauce on it. Made some and had and I just ate it. Now I will say this little trick for cooking. Like I cooked it down, and once I had it cooked. I put my onions in it, and I put a, a, about a quarter of a bottle of red wine in it, and I let that cook down until all the wa- until all the wine was gone, and it really does help to tenderize and flavor it a little bit better. Mm. And but I just ate a big freaking plate of deer spaghetti, and we'll eat some more tomorrow. You know, that's what we have for dinner tonight. Do y'all cut yours down, or do, with any kind of fat, or you just no? I don't. I, I run it straight. I run my deer meat. I run my grind meat straight. Now, if, I yeah. mean, my sausage. I'll, I'll put. I'll mix some Boston well, right. butter or something in there. But my, right. my deer meat, I just grind it. Does anybody else do that? How do you How do you do your deer meat, Hunter? I mean, uh, when you when you kill one, I know you haven't killed one in a while. So <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the past, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but I was pretty much broke, so I would, uh, I would, I would process everything myself. I do everything you myself. Know. I do it all by myself. I don't have, I don't take anything to the processor ever. <clears throat> right, right, yeah, and I, and I, I think I've brought one deer to a processor before, and um, but I, in the future, I will first deer I get, first deer I kill in the future will be get totally made into ground meat, and uh, yeah, that's what know, I do with a package. lot of it. I mean, I do ground meat. Um, Previously, I would just, you know, I didn't have a grinder, so I would just uh, cut my roast out, uh, you know, obviously backstrap tenderloins, uh, and then from there, I would cut a few steaks if I could get them out, and uh, the rest, I'd just cube up in, uh, you know, basically stew meat. Um, Yep. But, you know, now that I have a family, I'm definitely going to... we eat a lot of ground meat over here, so I think sure. from now onward, you know, at least the first. I do first most of my deer meat will be like I'll save a I'll save a couple of shoulders because you can put a shoulder in a Dutch o- in a in a Dutch oven with a couple mm-hmm. of beers and you know cook them um, cook them down for whatever. But I do a lot of most of my deer meat I do in the ground meat. But either that I'll either make ground meat or I'll make like you know breakfast sausage. 
Right. You know? Do you mix I'm ground meat? I don't mix any. Uh, I don't mix my ground meat with anything. I do a straight ground meat. Um, now I tell you what you can do if you have somebody who's finicky about their deer meat, um, like. And I, this is probably where my I went wrong with my daughter because I used I, I experimented a couple of years ago, but I was given a, a a guy told me to do this. So we were talking about like my daughter didn't like the taste of deer meat, blah blah blah. Um, he said take you go get you some um, seventy thirty, um, the you know cheap uh, beef, and mix like two pounds of deer meat to a pound of to to a to a pound of uh, of uh, hamburger meat. The that's cheaper that's, hamburger that's meat. exactly that's what i do for my girls yeah and so got, what it does it sort of takes the wild flavor out but it also adds the fat so the fat helps to keep it from drying out so bad like when you're yeah. making hamburgers and stuff yeah it don't dry yeah, out as go bad get the, go get the fattier it's cheaper anyway and you can mix that up but we also do a lot of we'll go get a brisket or something and mix some with ours but yeah you can mix brisket um i like i said you know boston butt or something you know a little pork yeah. for for the for yeah, the breakfast sausage stuff but i don't like the pork in it for hamburger meat right? yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. that's for well, i don't want i don't want pork burger i want well, hamburger well, what, what we, do, uh, we, we do something do totally, totally different I, we we I, I do two different batches and we do bacon ends and pieces. I've done that before. Nobody liked it. Not a single person yeah, we, in the house liked it. We, we do bacon ends and pieces, and we buy over the course of the year, whenever my wife can find any kind of sausage on sale, Jimmy Dean, uh, Potter's, any kind of sausage. Yep. Actually, I actually just cut them packs of sausage open and do about 70-30 or 80-20 uh the, the low number being the sausage. Uh, and so in my freezer here, I've got two, two deer in there and, uh, it's all either bacon ends and pieces and venison ground together or, or sausage ground yeah. together. That's how I, I do mine, Mike, but I do mine 90, 10 with the sausage. I do, uh, yeah. I do nine pounds of, of ground deer and then I'll add in a, a pound of Jimmy Dean or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's how we do I, I'm not. I'm not real fat and just enough flavor in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not real particular on exactly. I just kind of do it by sight and and the way I think I need to do it, you know. And uh, yeah, but, I'm but the same way. We got this Amish store up here, uh, and of course, even their prices are going up. But they're they're generally speaking, uh, we could get the bacon ends and pieces, and also they have some in-house sausage from time to time just in a big bulk pack and whenever my wife during the year when she can find that she gets it we just put it in the freezer and then when we get ready to grind meat here in my shop uh you know we break out the ends and pieces and we break out the sausage and, and that's how we mix it really so um we've i've tried the bacon ends and pieces kids hated it wife hated it Huh. I was going to, well, I did it, you know, like for just for hamburgers to make hamburger meat, you yeah. know, like a hamburger patty. Cause yeah. you, then you get a bacon yeah. burger, right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. in my family, I thought they were pretty decent. Everybody in my family hated them. So we didn't do that again, but I'll tell you what you can do. Now, if you have a local butcher shop, like rib um, fat, absolutely. That's it right there. Who said that Hunter or yeah. Seth? ribeye fat if you can go to your local butcher i went to my local local butcher up here and i said hey man i need some beef fat i was really looking for kidney they say the best thing is beef kidney fat 
Um, but I, you can't always find that. It's hard to find. But I went to him. I said, I asked him. I said, you got any beef kidney fat? He's like, no, nah, we don't. We don't generally get that. I say, well, look, I, I need some fat. I want some beef fat because I'm. About, I need to grind up some deer meat. And he said, well, I'll save you some fat. I said, dude, do it. Then he charged me like fifty, seventy-five cents a pound or whatever. Um, I got like ten or fifteen pounds of basically what he did was he brought me trimmings. I got trimmings off of ribeyes. And you talk about the best damn deer burger I've ever made in my life. Best flavor. Yeah, Cliff. I was, God, I was, was it good? I, I, I think what I'm going to do is do half and half. I'm going to do half uh, pure deer ground meat and then half ribeye fat. And because I'm like you, dude, I love freaking hamburgers and I love ribeye fat. Yeah, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna make a hamburger, you can't go wrong with the ribeye fat. Now I do grind meat with nothing in it, but that is for like spaghetti or chili or taco soup or you know tacos right. even stuff like that. But yeah. if I want to make a burger, you've got to have some fat. You got to have fat in there to hold it together. If yeah, you, yeah, it, you know, it won't hold together, and then it's gonna be dry as hell by the time you get it cooked. You know, yeah, and that's and the worst part about. So far with deer meat. Do what? An egg only goes so far with deer yeah, meat. Yeah, it don't. Yeah, you've got to have you you've got to have some moisture because deer meat doesn't have any fat. It's not marble no. like you know other like other meats are. So you've got to have some kind of fat as a binder, and then you got to have something for flavor and a little bit because there's there's no you know it's like eating a steak that that doesn't have anything on it. Like if you just took a piece a regular piece of a steak, even a ribeye. Don't put nothing on it. Don't put no salt. Don't put no pepper on it. Just put it on the grill. Cook it on one side. Flip it over. Cook it on the other side. It, it generally, uh, especially if you get like a lean piece of meat, you know, it don't have no flavor in it. Mm-hmm. You gotta have no. fat flavor, man. You gotta have some fat for flavor. So ribeye fat is the number one. If you can get your hands on it, it is the number one thing in the world to put on a. I'm gonna try that. We got a couple butchers mm-hmm. by us uh, just across the border in Kentucky. I'm gonna hit them up. We used to do that all the time, but people started catching on, and you couldn't hardly get it. You can't hardly get it. If, if too many people know about it, you can't it. get it. Yeah. Yeah. Then so you'd be paying two dollars a pound for it, it instead of a, like fifty cents. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It went up. It was like I. It used to be. We used to get it for free probably ten years ago, and then it was like fifteen cents a pound. Then it was like eighty cents a pound. Then it was a dollar fifty, and then you couldn't well, get it at all. You know why? <laughs> because they're putting it in their hamburger meat too. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean they are so your butcher you know i mean let's you know your butcher is doing the same thing you're doing he's got all these trimmings off of his off of his off of his beef and he's making hamburger meat well every pound he gives you of fat is is a pound of fat he don't have for his hamburger meat so he's charging you yep. i mean mm-hmm. and look he's a he's a business it's it's a for you know the one thing about capitalism you're here to make a profit Mm-hmm. You know, he's there to make a profit too. You know, I mean, I I love the days when they used to just give it to you, but being realistic, those oh, days yeah. are long gone. I, I used to pick it up on one of them. It'd be about a two foot long little uh, styrofoam plate, just like they would put the steaks on, and it, the sun gun would be cellophane wrapped, and you get twenty pounds of it. Just that's just right. Like that. That's they how had, I used they to buy. They had it waiting for you. It's just you harder and harder to buy it. It's just harder and harder mm-hmm. to buy it now. But you can in the cheap on you can always like I said if if you can't find ribeye fat you can always go buy seventy thirty that's what I buy seventy thirty hamburger meat you know you can buy it at Walmart whatever yeah um mm-hmm. and take that stuff right there and mix it with your mix it with your with your uh, 
mix I mix about thirty three percent, you know, one third or or, you know, two pounds to, to eight pounds or to make a ten pounds of, of hamburger meat. Um, and it gives you just enough fat and just enough hamburger, just enough beef to cut that flavor, that, that harsher, mm-hmm. you know, um, venison flavor so that, you know, your kids and stuff, sometimes they don't want to eat it because it's a little harsher in the flavor. But yeah, not, red wine no, too, oh. boys. If you don't cook with liquor, um, a little red wine goes a long way because it cuts that flavor and it helps to tenderize that meat a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Vinegar will do it too. Vinegar, a little uh, red wine vinegar. I used red yeah. wine, but yeah, I've used red wine vinegar. It, it helps too to do the same thing. Yeah, you know, talking about that though, it really doesn't hurt my feelings. You know, when I when I kill a deer and get this wild game, I I want to taste. I want the full flavor yeah. of my wild yeah. game. You know, and I know a lot of people don't you know they don't typically care for it. Um, like some people, they won't eat these marsh deer. Uh, and I tell people this, and they're like, "Huh, I don't, you know, that sounds crazy." But these marsh deer have a way different flavor than uh, a piney woods deer or a, you know deer on crop fields. Would you say they it's stronger, are, or it's or it's yes, uh, more they gamey? Have a real. The only way I can explain it is they have like a a tang to it. Like it's got a real strong, different. Like my buddy's wife, he she loves deer meat, but she will not eat a marsh deer. Um, they have a different, and I love it. I, I love the taste of marsh. Well, you know, um, like I was cooking today, I'm cooking this deer meat down, right? I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm stirring it, you know, just cooking it down. And I pulled a piece out, you know, just as it was cooking and it did have, it had a strong flavor to it. But after I got it all cooked, I put me a couple cups of red wine in there. I splash a beer cause I had one in my hand, you know, put my onions down in there and turn that dude up. When I came back and tasted after I had cooked it down like that, the flavor was totally different. It wasn't strong and tangy. It was just a nice. And now you could tell it was deer meat, but it had mellowed that flavor a lot. Right. You know? So that flavor had mellowed out a good bit. And I mean, man, then then I put my tomato sauce and stuff in there. You know, my Italian seasoning, and then, you know, next thing you know, slam bam, I had me a spaghetti cooked. Yeah. Yeah. I, hey, I love that, man. I do that actually with a uh, like stew meat deer stew meat i I did one not too long ago i'll do Mm -hmm. it in a pressure cooker just because it's real fast i'll I'll quickly saute you know i don't brown it down like i'm making a rice and gravy or nothing but i'll quickly saute my my cube deer meat up pretty quick and then yeah just a little crust right yeah 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 just a just a light little brown to it you know give it a little flavor and uh, a little crust and and i'll throw all my you know pasta and I usually put a little cheese in my Cajun seasoning, and mm-hmm. you know, and God, dog, man, I freaking love that. I, I, lo- I love the chunks of meat in it, you know. Uh, sure. But I love ground meat too. Um, but so we yeah, need to have know, a, I, we need to have a whole podcast on recipes. <laughs> I swear we're gonna do yeah. it. That's what we'll. That's that'll be our topic for like next week or so. In the, in the next week, so we'll do a we'll do an we're, entire we're podcast. Have a topic. <laughs> we never well we we never really have one then all of a sudden next thing you know well i mean that's why but but i'm gonna tell you i think the like you're right bradley we don't we don't ever have a real topic but i'll tell you why because really and truly i think the best conversations are ones that just we just allow to happen just talk no, about I whatever I, I mean we've all listened to podcasts that's why we're here right yeah and you know we've all listened to there, there's plenty of them out there that are like tonight we're going to talk about x y and z and when it starts to go off track a little bit you reel it back in. But that's, I mean, we were just talking the other day at the fire department. 
that these are the best kinds of trainings. When you're sitting around with a bunch of guys that have, that have seen some stuff, done some stuff, and you want to talk about it, this is the best time to learn some stuff. Is when it, yeah. Well, you're not going to learn shit from us, but how to well, drink. No, yeah, not that. <laughs> you're going to learn how to drink if you listen to me long enough. Right. You know, Cliff can drink X number of beers and still say a coherent sentence. I mean, teach you how to curse. <laughs> yeah, teach you how to curse. Yeah. But that's a, yeah. That's what we're talking about. Is it's just a big old melting pot like this? Is, is well, I just I just love the randomness something. of conversation. You know, it don't matter to me. Talk about whatever. You know. I mean, that's why I said everybody's always like, you know, I'll say, oh, we're going to record. At six o'clock, and they're like, "What's the topic?" Shit, I don't. I'll say something. I don't know. It don't really matter to me. I don't you just care. Need a starting point. Yeah, I mean, just you know, well, the, the, today's starting <laughs> point was hunter and and archery, and now we're talking about cooking. What you know, what we kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that part about this. You know, we've talked about the Iowa Deer Classic. We've talked about shed hunting. We've talked about traditional archery. Now we're talking a, a little bit. Of, we talked about postseason scouting. So mm-hmm. for me, conversation is just whatever. Conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't ever want this podcast to be like rigid where, you know, today's conversation is going to be about postseason scouting. And all we're going to do is talk about postseason scouting. Man, just – let let the conversation go where it's going to go, and if I do feel like we've gone too far off, you know, I will try to, or I'll, I'll I won't even I don't even try to segue, you know. Oh, that's a good segue. man. I just look. We're going to change the subject. We're going to talk about this now. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> but I'm good for all of it. But you know, I do think that it would be neat. You know, like the way I would think that that the way maybe I cook deer meat, and the way Mike and Herb cook deer meat is maybe totally because we're we're literally in. They're in the Midwest. They're in the Midwest. We're in the Deep South. You know, I know that Hunter and I are probably going to cook much the same way. It's probably going to involve yeah. a roux, a lot of beer, you know, um, or something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, but now Seth, who's over, you know, on the other side. Chris just messaged me and said that he 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 missed out, but um, he just sent me a text message. I'm about to I'm about to. Text, text him. Somebody talk while I talk while I tell Chris he's he's, he's sorry. <laughs> say what you uh, really want to say. Hey, hey guys, well, one of the things that, that we really like, and especially since we moved up here to Iowa because these these deer are such big body, is I love I love the ribs. I'll take the ribs and take the sawzall and cut them up, cut them into where they'll cut out of crock pot. And uh, man, loose? they they make they make some good eating. Man, I've, I've always heard that, Mike, that they're, they're really good. Yeah. You know, and the deer down here are so dang small, uh, you know, I'm kind of ashamed. I will pull yeah. as much meat as yeah. I can off yeah. of them. But, and nope. one thing I don't do is I don't gut deer. I will pull my heart out. I will cut a hole through the ribs and pull my heart out, get my tenderloins without ever gutting a deer. And then, you know, I yeah. just quarter them up and take what I can. I, you know, I try not to waste you know anything but the ribs is something i never really fooled with i gotta be honest but i've always heard they were delicious yeah Yeah, i've had ribs especially up north um and then i got down here and and one day i I tried to cut all the meat out and whatever and i realized that the the what did they say that the the something ain't worth the spoil anywhere it efficiency ain't there so you start cutting rib meat out and then you realize i waited out one time on a hundred pound dough i got like three pounds of rib meat but it took me 30 minutes to get it out. Is that really worth three pounds of rib meat? Especially when I can yeah. kill 400 deer a year? Not to me. So um, I, go I just, back and I listen. Go back. I'm, I'm going to interrupt because go back to one of the earlier podcasts 
Um, geez, I don't remember who it. <laughs> went I don't remember. Again. It went out again. <laughs> so we're having trouble with um, we're having trouble with uh with Jamie's uh, headphones. Yep, I got a short in the wire. I'm about to have to get him another set of headphones. Is it working again? It's going in and out when you wiggling it. All right, that's in. Now it's out. Gosh damn, James. That's a good one. You can hear him talk. That's what happened. Is that good? Yeah. No? You're about to get another you have to get another set of earbuds. Yeah, another earbuds. set. Yeah, there's another set somewhere around here. Where the hell's that damn? Yeah, you all talk about some ribs, uh I I found out here and yeah, uh, put those where we're at the buddy of mine he tried some more um some older ribs and everything and it didn't uh like, he didn't like them as well as he did the uh, younger deer no it's just i had one that had a short in yeah, it that, that's a good topic too is uh you know a lot of people mm-hmm. say oh you don't you don't want to eat them old gamey bucks i don't know i've, I've eaten three four five year old bucks and i don't think they taste any worse than you know obviously the i think it all has to do with preparation bucks. Everything has to do yes, with preparation. Yes. I agree. But what I was going to say before yes. before Jamie uh, told me that his that his earbud that his earphones aren't working again, um, I don't remember what the podcast was. You got to go back and look. Um, um, Sheridan, um, damn it, what's his first name? Um, Jason Sheridan. He learned this uh, rib recipe when he was in Kodiak, Alaska. And I'm going to tell you, dude, we had I had ribs that he cooked from a whitetail deer from Texas. As a matter of fact, Seth. Best white. I mean, I've tried whitetail ribs a couple of times. Shit, every time. He cooked them in a presto pot for like thirty minutes, and then put them on the grill and charred them a little bit with some best ribs I have ever eaten in my. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I mean, un- huh. amazing, amazing. Go back and listen to that podcast. He sort of talks a little bit about you know what he did and how he did it and this that and the other. Amazing, hey. dude. Hey Cliff, I just I just threw a picture on there of of uh, the, the ribs off this last buck I killed. They're huge. And yeah, y'all's ribs them, are a lot bigger because your deer are a lot bigger, right? So it's yeah, just and, yeah. And I cut them with the sawzall, and my wife cooks them in the crock pot. And we, I mean, we the meat we leave them on the bone, but when they're done, the meat just falls off the bone. Yeah. yeah, our, our ribs don't look like that. <laughs> no, ours don't either because our deer are so much smaller. I mean, he, he's got a – that looks like a beef cow, right? I was going to say, that looks like a side of beef to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tried cooking ribs this year for the first time because of the the podcast you're talking about. I just cooked it in the oven. Were they good? They had good flavor from what I see. But they're a little greasy, right? But they dried out. Did they? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, go back. He put them dudes in a Presto pot and cooked them for like 30 minutes, and then he pulled them out of the Presto pot, and he put them on the grill. I mean, I was there. I watched it, and I hadn't been drinking that much at that point. So, <laughs> But I'm telling you, man, best deer ribs I have ever eaten in my life. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've never tasted anything like that. It was amazing. It was amazing. Go back and listen to that podcast. I mean, we need you to listen to podcasts anyway, but that dude was amazing. It was crazy but anyway but i'm still i'm, I'm like i heard um i think that it was pretty interesting i think it was bradley saying you know the time it takes to debone and get all the meat out of the ribs and everything is it worth all the struggle because you're right you're not it's from an ethical standpoint you would think well you need to, you need to get every last bit of meat yeah. but there is a ton of work for very little reward and the thing is the tallow in in this in there if you don't render it properly, will ruin the flavor of your meat. 
Anybody can cut in at any point in time. Yeah. I threw I threw a picture of that buck that them ribs came off on there. It, uh, his rack is kind of dwarfed by his body, but he was a hoss body body wise. And and like I said, I, I don't bone anything out on them. I just trim them up, and then I cut them up with a sawzall, and we just cook them right right there. I don't know why my wife's in here. She can tell you how she seasons them, but I don't know what she puts on them. But they come out good. She said she said Allegro. Now, Allegro, yeah, that's, big body Allegro, here. Like, that's right and now she, they got a, a distribution center or whatever right over here in paris tennessee and you can go in there and buy it off the rack and we have bought just about every bottle they got and i tell you there ain't a bad one in the bunch i'll put that on uh, anything yeah and it makes good jerky marinade but she said allegro she she's marinates them in allegro and then she cooks them in beef broth yeah beef broth is really good because it helps yeah. to get flavor look who just logged yep. in hey look who logged in I saw him. Tell, tell <laughs> where you been, dude. Where you been? Man, I don't. I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, dude. you do I'm because just... look, I got your message, but I didn't read your message. I want you to tell everybody what happened to you because you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it, dude. Tell me he got the hook in his finger. No, uh, even worse. Uh, my motor broke down on the way. About I don't know. I think I was nine miles from long. It's what you then, get for going fishing without me and Hunter. <laughs> What you deserve that. <laughs> I had to get, I trolled all the way back and the storms caught me. And, uh, no, dude, that's horrible, man. Nine miles, yeah, really? Just, yeah, it was somewhere around there. I don't really know how long it took. Holy it like shit. Forever. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. It literally took forever. I was like, please, the battery, please not die. No please, shit. I would have thought my battery would die. I'd be so screwed. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, the closest person would have had it like come get me would have been about 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see nobody at the launch when I launched either. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm screwed. Holy shit. <laughs> Dude. I, I mean, I thought, about, I, I thought about fishing on the way out, you know, but I was like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you might as, you might as well drop it. You might as well drop a line and let it troll, right? Troll. Yeah. <laughs> All this for uh, six sacolay and four bass. I was like, wow. No shit, man. Well, at least man. you didn't scratch. You could have scratched. Yeah. I mean, at least yeah, you got a little I, couple I, fillets, huh? No, the bad thing is I threw them all back. No. <laughs> what the hell, dude? We got, a, well, like, say, Chris, well, we got, a, we got a picture of a little old dink. Dink soccer label. <laughs> yeah, well, I told Chris. Chris, oh, I told Hunter. I said that's probably the only damn fish he caught. That's why he did that shit. Well, I was like, oh, I had to. <laughs> and that was only twelve inches. That's why he threw them all back. <laughs> I was like, uh, well, I don't feel like going home and cleaning fish when I'm gonna be on the podcast tonight. And then I was like. Well, hell no. I'm just regretting even throwing them back. No shit. I don't blame you for that at all, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I hope you get. I hope there's nothing wrong with the motor. I mean, you think it's something wrong with it, or you think it's just something minor? I, don't know. I was about to. I was about to empty a 45 clip on it when I got to the. Dude, line. I'm gonna <laughs> tell you, man. So back in my day when I tournament bass fished, I put five. No, I put four. I think I put four power heads. Oh, I actually put five, but the last one was warranted. I put four power heads on a 200 horsepower Mercury. That's five thousand dollars a piece average. So I put twenty grand over. I think I had that boat eight years. I put twenty grand worth of power heads on that thing. The best thing I ever did was get rid of that fucking boat. 
That's why I keep a small boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what boat stands for, right? You know that boat's an acronym, right? Well, yeah, I forget what it is. Break uh, out another thousand. Every time yeah. something happens, it's at least a thousand dollars. Best thing I ever did was get rid of that damn they, boat. I yep, swear to God. They said happy two days of a boat owner's life for the day he buys it and the day he sells it. That's right, man. I love my boat. I did. I love my boat, but that dude broke me, man. That that boat, and I couldn't. You know the worst part? I'm a sorry ass fisherman too. <laughs> <laughs> I suck. I didn't know it. I thought I was a good fisherman until I started fishing against people who were really good, and then I realized I suck. <laughs> I already know I suck. That's All the way home, I I'm gonna try to do tournaments. Way to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point in time, you're like, man, you know what? This is a money pit. I'm I'm better to just I'm better to get rid of this dude. But all my uh, all yeah. my really big time fishing buddies who still fish, they buy a boat, and then when the warranty's up, they they get rid of that dude before the warranty's up on it. They said you just can't afford to that what it costs now to put a motor on a boat is ridiculous. Oh, them motors are outrageous. It's just it's stupid what they charge mm-hmm. now. Uh, I I bought a brand new forty horse last year. Uh, my damn forty horse Mercury quit pissing on me. I changed, you know, went through the whole nine yards trying to get it to go piss again. I couldn't get it to go, and it is the beginning of deer season, and I'm chasing two really nice bucks, and I had no choice. I, I got to go. And the only way so, to get to that property is my boat. I had to go buy a new boat. Brand what new boat. what are they <laughs> charging per horsepower now? Uh, I don't know what it is, but I know. Uh, I I uh, spent $6,100 out the door on a 40-horse, four-stroke Tahatsu. Uh, that's the Tahatsu. I mean, Mercury, I'm sure, was a stupid amount about of About 8000 Yeah, about eight or $10,000. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, crazy what they charge, you know? Yeah, them Tahatsus are good, though. They are. Man, they're I actually a really good motor. They, they, they've come a long way. So when, when, I, when, I, when, I was, uh, when I was looking at my last one, which, like I said, the last one was warranted, and they ended up putting a whole new motor on it because the the guy who rebuilt it, he rebuilt it instead of instead of changing it like he should have. He rebuilt it and then he blew it up twice before he could ever get it to me because I wouldn't take it till it would. <laughs> he could prove it would run. And every time we take it out there, he would blow the damn thing up again. So finally, he called me. He says, Cliff. If you're okay with it, I'm just going to put a whole new motor on it. And I was like, I wish you'd have done that a damn year ago. You've had my boat for a damn year. <laughs> you know? So the, the minute he put a new motor on it and he gave it to me and he proved it would run and he gave it to me, I put a for sale sign on that song gun. And two weeks later, I sold it with everything in it. The rods, the reels, the bait, everything. I mean, literally, I sold it with the life jackets and all. I remember when you posted it on Facebook. <laughs> the hell with it. I'm, selling, I'm out, dude. I was out. I couldn't afford to have it blow up again and it be another five or six thousand dollars. You know, it was just yeah. It's just I don't know, but I do want another one. I want to I want to start bow fishing. I'm really want to do that. That's what I want to sell this to get. Yep. So I keep every time I go like I don't go to Bass Pro Shops often because I can't afford to. But every time I go (laughs) to Bass Pro Shops, you know they have that. They'll have that freaking. 20 foot bass boat out the boat out there you know it's like eight foot wide i got an eight foot beam and it's got that deck on it you know with all it's all tricked out all you got to do is go bow fishing all you need is an oneida and they sell them for four hundred dollars in there all you got to have one of those and and you're ready and i look at that and my wife wife grabs me by the arm and says come on come on come on (laughs) that's not what we're here for because she knows that one of these days i'm gonna drive off with that dude on the back of my truck she knows it is 
I think it's twenty seven or thirty one K, baby. It's all yours. That's right. That that's a that's a simple three hundred and seventy one dollars a month. That's <laughs> for the next thirty years, that's all you gotta do. Boy, if I could go back. But uh, besides all the bad events that I had today, I did come home to a nice surprise. What's that? Uh, I got my new tournament bow in the mail. What did so. you get? Well, well I traded it. Nah. <laughs> oh. I did. did you get a I Matthews? Traded Mat- I traded my Matthews Creed, my old bow that I had sitting up in the closet. For a Bowtech. And, uh, no, for what a the- Hoyt Nitrum Turbo. Holy shit, that's even worse than a Matthews. <laughs> Good God Almighty! He's gonna he's gonna hoid him now. Oh my God! <laughs> well, you know what? All the you know, if there's ever been a snob in the world, it's been a Hoyt shooter. Oh, yeah. I've never met a Hoyt shooter that didn't think his shit didn't stink. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I don't. Oh, God hey, Almighty! I'm sitting I'm I'm sitting here looking at four of them right now. Well, my rest my case. Well, I rest my case go. right there. <laughs> oh. Well, well, I, I know I mean, my uh, shit don't stink, so I don't have to, you know, think it. Are you a Hoyt shooter no, still, too? I'm about to. I'm telling you what. I'm about to clear. I'm about to just clear it out. It's going to be me. So and I bought, the, I bought a used RX one off Craigslist for seven hundred dollars loaded in 2019. Did you really? It was real hard to walk away from that. Now, I had my PSC for almost ten years. For all the guys who are going to turn the podcast off and never listen again because I down on a hoist is a joke. It's a freaking joke, guys. I mean... Yeah. At least they're not shooting a PSC. Yeah. Well, that's where you could be shooting a PSC. You know, or you could be you shooting a bear. You could be shooting a bear. Hey, now. Uh, you shoot. Hey, now. I like bear. Yeah, you know the acronym for PSC, huh? No. Pretty shitty equipment. <laughs> oh, come on now. Or, or the older one is pull, shoot, explode. <laughs> pull, shoot, and explode. Yeah. Look, if, somebody, if somebody from PSC is listening, I'll give you my address. You can send me something. I still love you guys. I just found a cheap point. I've shot, I've shot plenty of deer with a PSC back in the day before they, you know, there was a time that PSC made fantastic stuff. And then they sort of went the box, they went the box store route. You know, where you could go buy a PSC at Walmart, and the quality just went to shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree oh, I mean, with that. And my then first bow was a PSC Nova. Yeah, and then over, I mean, here lately they they make a really good bow. I mean, at the end of the day, they all make good. Everybody makes a good bow. I mean, oh, it's yeah, sort of like the same debate between a Matthews, a Bowtech, a Hoyt, and a PSC is just like a Toyota, a Ford, a Dodge, and a Chevrolet. You know, they're they're all good vehicles. They're all good bows. Some right. some are a little Chevrolet bit. Chevrolet and PSC are the best. That's all you gotta say. We get it. That's well, right. Uh, You're right, Bradley. You're, you can you uh, can oh, definitely Toyota. Toyota baby, all day every day. Uh, well, y'all talking about the 1990 Toyota Tacoma, uh, Tacomas, huh? Hell yeah. yeah. The the uh, 1990s. Yeah, well, those were those were the, the it actually wasn't even with Tacoma yet. Then even in the 90s, you know yeah. what it was in the 90s? It was a Nissan hard body. That little four wheel drive yeah. hard body truck, you yeah, couldn't you tear one up. Nissan hard body and a little Toyota pickup. Hey, the little Toyota pickup fourth, trucks. I'm on my fourth Tacoma, and I'll tell you what, I've never had. My last one I had to change transmission in, but I was 
it was my fault. I beat the shit out of that poor truck, and it was used, and I never changed the transmission. I, I mean, the transmission oil. Yeah. Well, that, I'm on my second Tundra. I mean, and this one's got 166,000. I will trade. I really, I don't know what I want to do. I really sort of felt like I wanted a diesel. Um, until well, I just paid five fifty a gallon today for diesel. I don't even want to talk about diesel. Yeah, well, I was just going to say though. So I felt like I wanted a diesel until until we got a Democrat president in office, and I've watched diesel just go to the roof. You know, and you know, here's the crazy thing about diesel: it's cheaper to 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 process diesel than it's it is to process. Un- it's a byproduct. How in the hell is it more expensive? It's a byproduct of gasoline. It's because all the truckers run it. Yeah, bullshit. That's, on, it's bullshit, they dude. They ain't rode on Washington in years. It's EPA. If they, if they're really gonna do what they say they're doing. They're doing it for the wrong cause right now. Well, I don't want to say the wrong cause, but they're they need to ride on Washington like they used to do back in the day. And the gas prices will come back down. Maybe we'll all be happy. You may be right. So I know I was like, so I was in Illinois this last weekend driving back Sunday. The most I paid was four twenty one a gallon. Um, I don't know what it was. I, I didn't. I haven't looked. I haven't bought gas since I've been since I've been back. The least I paid was three eighty six on the way back from Louis, from from Illinois. Um, and don't get me wrong. And there came a point where I was almost tempted to not go, except that I had already waited too long to cancel the hotel room. So it was going <laughs> to cost me five hundred dollars regardless. So I said, "Fuck it, I'll just go." So we went ahead. Me and my wife went. Um, we went up there. Uh, but anyway, um, what's gas prices? Bradley, you said you've just paid five dollars a gallon. I paid, so I, I pull in the pump at our little mom and pop shop, so it's always a little bit higher. Sure, because right? you're in the you ten know, cents, twenty cents a gallon more because you're in the middle of nowhere, the, right? Uh, the diesel price was five fifty a gallon, and the gas price was, I think, four thirty something a gallon. Oh my, five fifty a gallon? Could you well, imagine? Because you got work, a thirty gallon tank, forty gallon tank. I mean, right. So when I go to work in Kentucky. They're paying, I think it was three eighty for gasoline and like four twenty for diesel yesterday. Good God Almighty. Here in here in Iowa yesterday yesterday in Bloomfield, there was gas for three forty nine and diesel for three eighty nine. Today we went back into town. We we live about fifteen miles from town. Went back into town today and gas was three sixty nine. And I don't, I don't know what diesel was, but I'm sure that when their next shipments come in, I'm sure it's going to keep creeping up, you know. Well, he said he was shutting down that Russian pipeline, but not opening up any production today. So it's only mm-hmm. going to make the shit go up. It's not going to go down. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're looking for anybody but us at this point. And summer ain't even started yet. It's going to be rough oh, summer, yeah. Josh. Yes. Well, gas here right now is three ninety nine a gallon. This morning at seven o'clock, when I passed the Chevron station, diesel was three seventy nine. No, four seventy nine. I'm sorry, four seventy nine. This afternoon at five thirty, when I passed back by the same gas station, it was five forty nine. Wow! It had done went up eighty cents. From seven o'clock this morning to five thirty this afternoon. Damn. So I feel the truck and boat up. I feel the truck up at uh probably price was four eighty nine and I put I stopped it at ninety dollars and it gave me all not even a half a tank. 
Chris, you gonna get where well, you can't afford to run that outboard motor because my two hundred got three miles yeah. a gallon, and I couldn't afford it. And it had a yeah. twenty six gallon tank. I could not afford to fill that some bitch up. And that was back in the days of three fifty gas, fuel, yeah. so, you know, some years ago. Yeah, gas. Yeah, gas was four oh nine, and I only put fifteen dollars in. <laughs> and I think I got like three, maybe three gallons. <laughs> But I already had some in there, so it will, I didn't run out of gas. <laughs> That's what y'all thinking. Hey, hey Herb, Herb your your gas down there. See, I'm just four miles from Missouri. I can I can go down into across the state line, and the gas down there, generally now I don't know about now, but generally it's about ten cents a gallon cheaper than it is in Iowa. I don't know if you run it. Uh, I think y'all's gas tax. Is less than Iowa's gas tax. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if you heard me, Herb. But uh, Herb had to step off. Herb had to, Herb had to break out. Um, he he messaged me said he had oh, to go. Okay. Um, he said he had daddy duty, so he okay. he had to run out on us. Mm. Some I, I should have said something. Um, mm. uh, what you Seth saying, had to go though? back to work. Seth Seth yeah, said he, you know doing the same gentleman. Yeah, um, guys. Yeah, so I mean, it's getting late. We've been at this for a little bit over two hours, two hours and twenty minutes. We're gonna. I, yeah. I I love the conversation, and we're just sort of shooting the shit and having good fun. But at some point in time, I have to call it. So, um, hopefully, next week we're talking about how gas prices have plummeted back down to freaking um, pre Biden era or some shit. You know. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to go ahead. I, I hate to, I mean, I really do. I hate to call it. I really sort of hate to cut it off because I'm having a great time just shooting yeah. the shit and enjoying the conversation with everybody. Um, but I was going to say, uh, like, to, to part, my parting thing is I hope they don't make me choose between gasoline and beer because I'll be walking. I'm going to have a beer. I mean, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get to work, but I'm going to have a beer. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, I appreciate everybody, um, everybody yeah. coming in and, and, you know, logging in and staying on. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Chris, I hope the boat gets back to running. Um, hopefully see you, um, not I'm this weekend, right. but the weekend after, right? You're going to be at the, yes, you're going to be at the show, yes, right? Sir. So me and you, me and you going to hang out and I'll drink beer regardless. Um, trying to get oh, Hunter absolutely. to come up. Trying to get Hunter to come up. We might do a podcast, just the three of us, just sitting around a, a cold beer. But anyway, um, appreciate everybody taking the, taking the time to listen to us, man. Um, we'll be back again next week, and we'll do it all over again. In the meantime, uh, I don't know. Stay stealthy. Don't drink too much. Go catch a fish, and turkey season's almost here. Yep. All right, we're out of here, guys. shit show.